ass bitch, 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 bitch. I'm a boss ass bitch, 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 bitch. I'm a boss ass bitch, 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 bitch. I'm a boss ass bitch, 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 bitch. I'm a boss ass bitch. I don't give a fuck about you wretched ass lanes. Hello there. You're listening to the Quarter to Three Movie Podcast for the Bronze. My name is Tom Chick, and I'm here with Christian Malensky. Yeah, no one really calls me that anymore. In fact, you were the only one person that that did. And with a bronze tagline or two, maybe more, Kelly Wand. Uh, watching gymnastics exercises one muscle. <laughs> All right, that could apply to the Olympics, though. Do you have a bronze tagline <laughs> that might not apply to the Olympics but would be specific to this movie? It's like Munich, but with girls. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. <laughs> so I should have led with that one. I, right. Kelly Ward, I don't know where you can go from there. I almost – you might want to quit while you're that far ahead. Do you have anything else? That one's for Cynic, huh? <laughs> that would go great on a poster. And just to remind listeners, we have some great uh, posters that our, our listener Cynic has mocked up with Kelly yeah. Ward's taglines. That seems like a shoe-in. There, are there any other candidates? I love his font choices. They're very thoughtful. It's sort of that. like you provide the humor, he provides the font, the studio provides the poster. Altogether, there's a sort of yeah. alchemy. He places them sometimes in in like spots that they'd actually be in. Yeah. yeah. In the little print sometimes. Sixty nine's not that complicated. <laughs> okay. Um <laughs> This is what sucks when you have a really good one, because then they all have to be that good. Right. May as well just stop. Right. Uh, my last one is twitchy and bitchy. It's a little too precious. I know. That's one. That one could actually be one. Yeah, yeah, right. Exactly. Like a show on Comedy Central. Yeah. Yeah, I know. Okay, lame. That's it. Sorry. Well, Kelly Wand, then, uh, why don't you the? Oh, wait, who's doing the quiz? Uh, Dingus. Dingus, why don't you uh, subject Kelly Wand and I to a, a battle of wits and see who wins? All right, this is a simple one. Uh-huh. Uh, this is just me reading an IMD, IMD, IMDB synopsis, and you guys have to guess it. Uh, so whoever guesses it first rules. wins. Do you no. want to like tip your hand a little, Dingus, and guess which of our wheelhouses it might be in? Although Kelly Wand and I have pretty similar wheelhouses. I usually lose, so that I don't have a wheelhouse. To uh, this it. is slightly more in Kelly's wheelhouse. Ooh, okay. Really? And Kelly, you do have a wheel. We have the same wheelhouse, but you're kind of like the, the stewardess in my wheelhouse, whereas I'm the pilot of it. Mm, I think he's your co-pilot. <laughs> Let's not get uh, When you see one track, set of tracks, that's from when I was carrying Tom. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, did you just get a promotion? All right, so, okay, here we go. <laughs> Right. It's a stewardess. No. Male flight attendant, we prefer to be called. I just, uh, Larry Gay. Oh, Larry uh, Gay. Remember how good that was, Kelly Wong? Yeah. Remember when Dingus didn't get any of the jokes and didn't understand the movie because it was too complicated? Did we see that movie? Yeah. <laughs> we podcast. I. Okay. <laughs> Talked a little too much. All right, here we go. Ready? Yeah. Steve is a talented gymnast who Jim has. No, not Jim Cotta. Nice try. All right. He's a talented gymnast who has given up competition and is working at his father's bike shop. Julie is the new girl at his old gym who has moved to town to train with their powerful coach. 
In- <laughs> inspired by Julie, Steve resumes training. It's nothing I've ever seen. I could say that Karate Kid, because that's not his name. While dealing with the conflicts in their personal lives and the stress of training, they prepare for the U.S. Olympic trials. Why would either of us know this movie, Dingus? It's some dippy... This is in my wheelhouse? It's, yeah, ah, it's in your wheelhouse, Kelly Wan. Kelly Wan oh, likes dippy movies? teenage sports I'm just movies. saying it's more in yours than in Tom's because it's an 80s movie. And I think that you... Uh, have American Anthem. American Anthem. Kelly Boom. Wynn. American Anthem. I haven't even heard of that. Who's the fan? Janet Who Jones. Who? And Mitch Gaylord. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> baby. Mitch Gaylord. Uh, there that's were videos... Not a real, that's, the, that's Ben Stiller's character from The Fockers. That's not a real person. Steve and Julie, everyone remembers them. Once you th- remember the title American Anthem, you know, Steve and Julie. So Janet Jones is Julie? God, she's great in that Wait, movie. who's Janet Jones? She's Wayne Gretzky's wife. She was in The Flamingo Kid. She's really hot in that movie. Is she one of the chicks so in Three's hot. Company? She's in Police Academy 5, uh, the one where they go to uh, Miami. Oh, God. She's in See, amazing Do you understand why this is in Kelly's wheelhouse now? Yeah, it's totally in my wheelhouse. Oh, Janet yeah. Jones, is, I wish she was in my wheelhouse all the time. So uh, I remember seeing American Anthem in a movie theater with uh, a couple of uh, girl friends of mine. Not girlfriends, oh, but girls like slash friends. And yeah. they, they were just so nuts about Mitch Gaylord. Um, he's playing a guy named Steve Tiver. Uh It's kind of this, uh, oh, God, it's such a great 80s movie. And there's a weird, I mean, one of the things that sticks with me about this movie uh, is there's this weird scene where the where the angry dad runs down the hallway, grabs Mitch Gaylord, shoves him against the wall, and breaks his arm. Oh, why? Because he's an abusive father. He's just angry. He's angry at him. I don't know because he because he won't give up Janet Jones or whatever. Is this the sort of thing where where Mitch Gaylord's like an athlete and not an actor, and that's why I've never heard of him? Mitch Gaylord is both. How dare you? Mm, that's not a thing. What? What? The dad wants him to give up Janet Jones. What kind of sick fuck is he? So Mitch Gaylord is he? He was a, a he won an Olympic gold medal, and he starred in this movie. So this is one of those instances where it's like a Dennis Rodman moment, um, where an actual from, athlete uh, who won something got to be in a movie. It's uh, like from sort Justin of. Kelly sort of tailored to his abilities. So that's what American Anthem is. It's, it's take, taking Mitch Gaylord, this Olympic gold medalist, and putting him in this movie as this as this, uh, as this athlete gymnast um, who's like fighting against the odds. And his father's this abusive dick. Uh, and he has to like come back from this injury where his father abused him and be a good gymnast again. Um, and I just remember the, the girls who were my friends at that time just being totally nuts about Mitch Gaylord. That's exactly what happened with Pele in the movie Victory, but instead of his father, it was about, like, Nazis, I think, took him prisoner. Yeah, Victory. Yeah, Victory. Stallone. <laughs> so there was a precedent for this Mitch Gaylord business you're talking about. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, American Anthem. I can't believe you don't know that movie. So anyway, well, anyway, Kelly Wand yeah. wins this. Yeah, Dingus, enough about movies about gymnasts. Tell the listeners what we saw this week. <laughs> <laughs> this week we saw The Bronze. The Bronze. A 2016 American sports drama movie about how to overcome celebrity. Mm-hmm. It was directed by Brian Buckley and written by Melissa Rauch and Winston Rauch. It stars Melissa Rauch, Gary Cole, Thomas Middleditch, Sebastian Stan, oh. Kelly Lou Richardson, 
And Craig Kilborn. The bronze is rated R. Well. For really strong. (laughs) What a stupid rating system. I don't know if I've ever said that before. The bronze is rated R for strong sexual content, graphic nudity, language throughout, and some drug use. Oh, yeah. Kelly, is there anything they left off of the list there? I would have said Sparrow, Deformities, and Prolonged Sequences of Redemption. Right, but it would still be rated R. You're saying children should not uh, see this unless their parents vet it first, right? I would rate it NC-17 for how I watched it. I think Kelly would rate anything with redemption as an R. Yeah, that's what it stands for. You don't want to expose children to that to give them the wrong idea about life in the world, right? Seriously, yeah. Yeah. Which, uh, yeah. Uh, The Bronze was was a a movie from Sundance in 2015 where it uh, got a a nice bit of buzz, uh, and a a studio called Relativity bought it for $3 million. And then Relativity underwent a little bit of turmoil. Uh, And in that turmoil, the, the folks who had bought the international rights for The Bronze, Sony, they then took it, and they're like, okay, we'll distribute it in the U.S. Uh, Sony has their, their little indie label is Sony Classics. Uh, Sony Classics released this movie in an unprecedented number of theaters for a Sony Classics release. Normally, they do small movies, like the a more recent one would have been that movie where Julianne Moore gets Alzheimer's called uh, Still Alice. Uh, Still Alice never hit more than uh, – it had a limited release. It, it rolled up to ultimately 765 theaters, uh, and that's sort of their strategy with these little indie movies. Sony got the idea that they were going to right off the bat release the bronze in 1,200 theaters. No Sony Classics picture has ever hit uh, that many theaters with, with, its, with its, uh, its initial release. So they showed huge confidence in this, it seemed. Uh, and it tanked uh, it, on its opening weekend, and this was a wide release. This wasn't some little indie limited release like that Sony Classics normally does. On its opening weekend, it was number 25 hmm. at the box office. Uh, so uh, the bronze uh, so far has totaled about $400,000. Um, it is at 33% on Rotten Tomatoes. And on Metacritic, which is the average rating from various reviews, it's at 44. Um, Kelly, one that seems to you seem to be pondering the, those numbers. I didn't know they released it wide. I thought it was just like a, a little movie. I know you would think, but no, a 1,200 no stars on it. Uh, well, Cicely, Cecily Strong from Saturday Night Live. She's she's a household name, right? She was in Ghostbusters. Which one was she? <laughs> uh, Haley Lou Richardson's mom is a, a Saturday Night Live cast member who plays the mayor's assistant in Ghostbusters. Oh, uh, the guy from Veep. Uh, yeah, well, Gary Cole. Uh, yeah, I guess he's famous too. A lot of people from HBO series, right? Yeah. But not people you go, let's open this in every theater in the country. I don't know. That's, I'm surprised by that. Seems like a weird marketing approach. Yeah. I'm trying to talk more like that. Well, obviously it didn't work, so you, you should have advised Sony because it obviously did not work very well for them. So. They never listen to me. Yeah. Well, Kelly Wan, speaking of listening to you, why don't you synopsize the events of the bronze while we all listen to you? <sighs> this one kind of sucks. I'm sorry. I didn't have time. 
That's a, that's a great way to get people pumped up, Kelly Wan. That's, yeah. You know, really, you're really, you're really starting off strong with a disclaimer like that. You know, you know, a monkey can do these. You have to sell this to us. A monkey can do these? Sorry, I'm quoting the movie. Uh. Oh, yeah, yeah. The Bropsis. A blonde woman with a Canadian accent from Ohio wins a bronze medal at the Italian Olympics by breaking her foot. <laughs> She's bitter and mean, so her name's Hope. Her hometown, Ohio, has a footnote plaque under the city's one sign that says home of bronze medalist in gold lettering in her name. Her dad's Gary Cole and also a mailman. Her mom died when she was five months old, so they don't date. She doesn't have any money since Gary Cole gives her $500 a week allowance. She gets free food everywhere and sports endorsements pay shit. So to make ends meet, she busts into her dad's mail truck and steals all the dollar bills people are always mailing each other. Since he keeps all the previous day's mail in his unlocked truck in the, in the driveway of the morning instead of the post office, this process only takes her the length of time it takes him to make her a cheese sandwich that she never eats. One day, she's drinking a milkshake at a diner when a caramel teenage girl and the guy from Silicon Valley <laughs> pester her. <laughs> caramel in a lot of ways. And this is Since, a perfect adjective. That's really yeah, cute. it's perfect for her. Cause she's, that's how caramel would talk, too. Yeah. Since Hope has zero interest, the teenage girl really wants Hope to coach her. The Silicon Valley guy wants to date her also because she has zero interest. She gets rid of them by drinking. Her dad somehow hears about the milkshake incident and somehow decides that in her current condition, Hope would make an ideal coach for this teenage girl that he's never met. One day, the Russian coach commits suicide. Since her last name, Pavlik, was virtually untranslatable, everybody always just called her Coach P. Like most, like most tests in her small town, Hope finds out about it on the national TV news. <laughs> Following the advice of his parenting self-help manual, Gary Cole forges a suicide note penned by the dead famous Russian in his handwriting and that she mailed it to Hope at home instead of to a lawyer. Since Hope can't read, Cole reads it aloud. <laughs> Dear Hope, I will be dead soon. Please coach brunette character, and if she makes it to Toronto Olympics, I give Ski you $500,000, which I make from coaching at Failing Gym run by Silicon Valley character. In Russia, metal where you. Dos Vidanya, Gary Cole, your father. I mean, Coach P, your father. <laughs> P.S. Since Bronze Age came after Stone Age, maybe fourth place medals should be rocks. Hope Saul. Man, that's so Coach P. <laughs> <laughs> she goes to visit the brunette girl at home and both inspires her and tries to score the 500K by trying to persuade her to give up gymnastics. The brunette's mom's. <laughs> The brunette's mom cleans toilets at the high school. Hope picks the kid up at 2 p.m. the next day and immediately puts on a diet of French fries, banana splits, marijuana smoothies, and sex. Or as I call it, whatever today is. <laughs> uh, the guy from Silicon Valley, who rarely goes to gyms, owns the gym. He observes Hope's efforts to corrupt the teenager with sweet disinterest, gradually makes him fall in love with her. When it comes to affairs of the heart, Amherst is a seller's market. One scene, Bucky shows up. <laughs> I guess it's fine. 
He won gold medals in the Olympics, but isn't mentioned in any plaques. He's a real buzzkill, refusing to admit that Hope's marijuana smoothies and dietary regimen will make the brunette girl's routines on the monkey bars less entertaining. Wait, more entertaining. I know which character I am. I think the brunette girl's name is Connor. (laughs) I don't know how to watch things. Although it's kind of late in the game to verify the fine print of the endeavor she's already poured weeks into, Hope calls her dad to confirm that she still gets the money if Connor dies from a nacho overdose. But since he has a loving father's book-assisted love and her abilities to continue torturing a teenage girl, he tells her she has to keep doing it till she's in Toronto. Bucky takes Connor to a porch with the toilet mom on it. He's all... I wouldn't call her that if I knew the actress, like she was in my friend's circle. I'd go, your character had a name, and it was Lupe or something. He's all, look, Mrs. Connor, as you can see, your daughter's been poisoned and humiliated. Her dreams for athletic greatness spitefully sabotaged. Plus, she's being taught by someone who's famous for breaking her ankle. I, on the other hand, won't poison her. Plus, I've won four gold medals for side splits and played Bucky. The mom's all, hmm. But Connor's all, Mom, who's been there for me ever since her dad forged a letter in a Russian accent? <laughs> Seriously, I'm asking. I'm so high right now. <laughs> Hope's all, I don't care what any of you think about anything. Go fuck yourselves with Bucky's needle dick. Hope you like the taste of talcum. The mom's all, hmm. Hope wins the gold at porch debating, so Bucky adopts a Korean girl. Hope's new training regimen becomes even more grueling. <laughs> I'm just I, that's what I think happened she makes Cotter lie on a floor next to her then adjusts her ponytail so that it lies flat on the mat then she looks at Connor and goes that's gymnastics <laughs> I'm worried my voice will get stuck like that it's too easy Although the guy from Silicon Valley is mismanaging a failing gym with only one client, he scores a date with Hope at a closed mall food court, since luckily he knows a character we've never seen before who ushers them to a table and goes, Here you kids are, enjoy your darkness and cold. Nutrition options are slender since all the shops are closed, but luckily they left the food and money out. So when Hope dares Silicon Valley guy to steal her a sack of flour from the Taco Bell kiosk, he's able to oblige. Things get a little heavy when he explains that the reason he never had his twitch looked at by a professional is because he's not listening to her. She proposes inventing lettuce candles. He laughs uneasily and calls her Pope Gregory. The mall guard's music comes on, so they get up and dance to it till she tells him he looks like he got hit by a semi. The next day she goes to a cemetery but accidentally spills some of her drink on her mom's grave. Right? Yeah, close. We'll accept that. I wasn't really watching closely. <laughs> that night, she yells at Connor in the dark till all the characters come out with a cake since it's America's birthday. Her dad asks her who the United States declared independence from, but she gives the wrong answer. The mom announces she can't attend the Olympics this year because there's a toilet cleaning emergency <laughs> scheduled at the school, even though it's summer. <laughs> <laughs> You know, summer games. That night, Hope and the Silicon Valley guy decide to watch the 4th of July fireworks from inside the windowless gymnasium. He takes a bow out of her hair because it annoys him and tells her she resembles one of the X-Men. 
She's all, want a beer? Close your eyes, and smears cake all over him till they have sex. They go to the Olympics. As they enter the Parthenon, Hope makes all the international attendees comprising the audience chant USA. I lean over to Brian Loeshta, sitting beside me, and go, totally with you, dude. Putting doors on Brazilian bathroom stalls? Bullshit. There's a montage of girls doing gymnastics to hip-hop and Hope and Connor exchanging intercourse gestures with their hands. I'm a little ahead of them. To celebrate my self-abuse, Hope gets drunk at the underpopulated Olympics bar, where the Silicon Valley guy tells her the reason Coach P was murdered was due to her drinking. (laughs) Okay. Hope confronts Gary Cole in a hotel room just as he's about to release his goldfish into an (laughs) Olympic swimming pool. He confesses to her that he's Coach P. She goes back to the bar to celebrate again, but this time the Silicon Valley guy has been replaced by Bucky. He woos her by referring to her knobs as dream killers, so they go to his room to do acrobatics while music plays, and the Silicon Valley guy watches outside with two coffees I guess he just bought and was going to share with her in the bar. Connor wins the Olympics off screen. She celebrates by leaving the movie. Hope realizes... (laughs) She's trying to wrap things up. (laughs) hope realizes that signing autographs at a mall is the honorable thing to do and brainwashes the town into all joining the silicon valley guy's gym on the same day she makes up with silicon valley guy by saying stuff some words on screen tell us that connor and bucky got expelled from the olympics for conceiving a child and that hope and the silicon valley guy are still childless the end thank you kelly wand uh Comedies are tough. I know, right? It's already there. Yeah. You know? yeah. So few options. Uh, all right. Well, I picked this because I wanted you guys to see it. So uh, I'm guessing I mainly would want Kelly to see it. Dingus may be down the line. I would be, yeah, maybe you should see this. I'm not sure it's a Dingus movie, though. But Kelly, really? I definitely wanted you to see it. Uh, I don't know. We'll find out. But uh, yeah, Kelly, well, is it is it a Kelly Wan movie? Yeah. I like it. It's a sweet movie. It's less – um. It's less, like, foul than I was hoping it would be. Wow. But it's, it's, <laughs> Kelly Wan, that says more – I mean, Dingus, that says more about Kelly Wan than the movie, I think. <laughs> yeah, that, that is amazing. What an amazing statement that is. Don't leave any – what is it that she says? Don't it's leave a date any clit stains on the back seat. That's less foul. <laughs> you know, but there's – everything she says, you go, well, I can see what she's saying. You know what I mean? Like, she's making less, sense. She's just too angry about it. Less foul than you were hoping. Well, it's all just language. That's nothing. That doesn't mean anything. Language is everything. What? You, you say that's your, that's your credo. How dare you even say that? It's less language. I'm just saying in terms language. of – How dare I'm saying you? In terms of How foulness. dare you, writer man? I'm saying foul language isn't foul language. It's not – I mean, it's not foul to me. I don't know. It's just expressive. She's just – it's more that she's bitter. Like, I don't think she stops swearing at the end. So uh, it's only foul if it's images? Um, No, it's fouler if she follows through. Like, that te- that sex scene is so tasteful. It's so tasteful. The fact that this movie's rated R is so dumb to me. It's just such a – it's such a – like, this is a movie for teens. Isn't it? I thought <laughs> – I mean, it's safe for everyone. There's just nothing to object to. The, you know, like that's in fact 
my reservations with the movie are just that there's a lot she gets there's way too much redemption in this for my personal taste but it's still skillfully constructed and like well acted and i like it but it was like these bound and down it's kind of similar because they're both skilled athletes uh that's the something that I, but they just let it go to their head tarantino style so it is kind of like he's bound down but um he's bound down kind of goes darker i think all right, well, Dingus, what's your response to that? Obviously, so Kelly Wan thinks it's sort of a, uh, kind of rambling. a crowd pleaser, friendly, yeah, redemption, sweet. He calls it sweet. He thinks it's a sweet movie. Yeah. Uh, Dingus, what's your what's your response to that? All right, I'll answer you quick. I wanted to ask you immediately, Tom. Do you think it's not foul enough? But I'll let you answer that later. Um, uh, I I really like this movie a, a whole lot. It feels like. Um, a, a darker, more foul, uh, in a good way, I think, crude and crass way than Win Win, which is mo- which is my over. I mean, I really love Win Win. Um, and as I watched this movie, I, I I did continually think, oh my gosh, maybe this movie will be uh, more of like a Kelly Wan type of movie uh, that won't have that type of redemption. And and I, and I was also sort of balancing that whole idea that. I think one of the first questions Tom asked after we uh, watched Win Win and we started doing the podcast was, "Is uh, how how Sundancey is this?" I think he made us rate it on a scale. Maybe I think yeah. it was Win Win that he did that on. Um, and I and I started wondering, um, can I ask Tom uh, how Sundancey is this movie compared to Win Win? Because it still feels very Sundancey, but it feels more uh, in the I don't know the current universe than the, the current crass political universe that we're in, um, uh, than uh, than Win Win did. Win Win now almost seems whimsical, uh, whereas this uh, I think uh, I, I cannot uh, I disagree more with about it <laughs> about that particular thing that he said. They're both um, squishy. Uh, yeah, not, but not as squishy as, as Super, perhaps. Um, no, that movie's uh, just foul enough. There's a couple of moments where the movie almost loses me, uh, but where I go back to it. Um, I, yeah, I really like this thing a whole lot, uh, but I am curious as to where Tom would put it on the sun on the Sundancey scale because that's 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 kind of your your scale, Tom. There, there are definitely uh, Sundancey undertones, and I think a lot of them were put there after the fact. I think a lot of it is the soundtrack, uh, which at mm. times is, is ironic, but at times is very sincere uh, in terms of letting us know, okay, we're really trying to pull heartstrings a little bit. We're trying to show she's a good person. Uh, but I, I think that's not necessarily there at the script level. Uh, and I think that when the director, I forget his name, Brian Buckler, Buckley, when he shot this, it was from it's, the script. It's, it's Buckley, you're right. Buckley, right. Uh, Melissa Rauch and her husband's script I don't think it has that much sundanciness in it, and I think that was something that was part of the process eventually. But it's not like win-win where I feel like it compromises. And actually, I'm not saying win-win was compromised. That was part of the integral identity of win-win. Is Paul yeah, yeah, Giamatti yeah. is the fundamental goodness of Paul Giamatti's character. I don't think that's and the Amy case. Ryan. I mean, and Amy Ryan, of course, right, right. And I don't think and that's, that kid. And I don't think that's the case with uh, the Bronze. I don't think the Bronze is a story about a fundamentally good person. Um, I, and I think that's where it's not Sundancey. Uh, she ends up doing the right thing, sh- sure, but it, I, Kelly Wan calls it redemption. I don't, I don't think she necessarily changes. She doesn't become 
you know, she thanks her dad. She's got nice little moments like that. But I don't think it's a movie about a, a crass, mean, vulgar character growing out of that. Uh, oh, you're I totally disagree. Okay. Because she goes to the mall to, like she didn't give a shit about the townspeople and just found, saw them as like part of the problem mm-hmm. and would just use them for free stuff. But at the end, when she does the autograph thing, like she's doing that for them, not for herself. And same with the gym. Uh, like, yeah, I mean, like that. Or she was really selfish and she becomes selfless by the end. She like, she is, but but she does little things like give the dude in the wheelchair her the money at the beginning. I mean, she does little things that are weird and and quirky. I think she's. Uh, I don't know that I would agree that that's totally the case, but I think that I would. I think that she does get redeemed at the end. Uh, the thing about the gym, Kelly Wan, is I I, I think the idea is that she is worried that she's going to lose the spotlight, and that's her way kind of reclaiming it. Uh, is by just have surround yourself with these little kids and not necessarily teaching them to go, do good gymnastics, but marching them out to get ice cream. Uh, I don't think <laughs> it's this idea that she becomes a good coach or that she ends up wanting to uh, coach children to become better gymnasts. Uh, I think she just is, you know, her self-servingness is, I guess, less isolated. Maybe I don't know. It, it's not. Mm. It's not redemption in the sense that something like win-win is, uh, because I, she starts from a completely different. And I think darker and more vulgar right, right. point than a normal character would, uh, and and that's ultimately what I think is both what makes this movie unique and valuable, and probably also what what sank it, what what, what killed it at the box office and, and critically is mm-hmm. I, I feel there's a double standard where Danny where you can and so my my. Under and over, I closely bracketed it. I really like this movie a lot. I love this movie, uh, and I bracketed it very closely with other movies that I love um, that, that are comedies. And the under is Foot Fist Way, which is Danny McBride's first movie for all intents and purposes. He was in a David Gordon Green movie called All the Real Girls as an ancillary character. Uh, but he stood out. He had this sort of patter about him, uh, and he was really entertaining in that. So a few years later... Uh, a fellow named Jody Hill, uh, David Gordon Green produces this movie, made a movie called Foot Fist Way. And it was basically the beginning of Danny McBride's career, playing crass, vulgar, selfish, unlikable, mean-spirited, petty characters. Uh, now, for the Foot Fist Way, for, for the most part, movies like Foot Fist Way, Eastbound and Down, Kelly Wand is a direct continuation of that. The current series he has on HBO called Vice Principles, also a direct continuation of that. Uh, I think that's sort of distinct, and, and Daniel McBride's success is something that audiences have a hard time seeing women do. When we have a crass, vulgar female character, she has to be fundamentally likable, and I think that's what we see with Melissa McCarthy's career. Melissa McCarthy does, you know, she her whole shtick is the string of insults. There's a, there's a great bit in the bronze, that bit about the taint locket, where uh, she just has this extended insult to Sebastian Stan, and that's kind of like what Melissa McCarthy does. But I feel that Melissa, Melissa McCarthy's characters are always these nice, lovable slobs who uh, we like in spite of them, in, in spite of any sort of crass vulgarity. Hope and Gregory, I, I think, doesn't have any likability for most of the movie. Uh, and I love that we can do that with a with a with a female with a, a female character. You know, Danny McBride's been doing that for years, and I think women should be able to do that too. And I don't think they have been able to do that. Uh, you know, they're 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 perceived as bitchy or unlikable, and it, uh, and I'm I'm glad this movie offered that, and it sucks that I think it paid the price by by not making any money. 
Um, I have a theory because Melissa McCarthy and Danny McBride, they're not, they're not, consi- they're not pretty people. And so that's part of their personas too. But like the, my under for this movie was young adult. Cause it was like Charlize Theron character uh-huh. is beautiful. And she comes to her town and I was, I just fe- I found it hard to suspend my disbelief in that movie that any of the townspeople would have given a shit what she thought about them. And in this too, it's like, this is a really, maybe it's the fact that she's a really pretty person. Like she's a really striking woman, the bronze Pope Anne Gregory. So maybe it's just like a different, maybe it's more annoying when like a pretty, like a, an attractive person's bitching and moaning all the time, as opposed to a Danny McBride or a Melissa McCarthy, where it's uh, like, well, they got, they were dealt a bad hand. So you can see why they're bitter. I think they did a good job though. Like Melissa Rauch is, is, is beautiful. I'd never seen her in anything. I don't know. I don't know the TV stuff she does. She's a, a regular cast member on Big Bang Theory, uh, and this character is in no like in Big Bang Theory. She's she's a, a cute, adorable little blonde. I'm guessing she's not super crass, uh, but I thought they did a good job, and especially her, uh, just the way she would pinch her face and just that that hot that pinched nasal Midwestern voice, uh, just and, and just the vulgarity. I thought they did a good job of not making her pretty and putting her in those baggy track suits. Um, you know, in the end, when she, when she wears that tight white tank top and her hair is down, then Kelly Wanda, I'm with you. You're like, wow, this, this woman is really beautiful. I really had no idea. Uh, yeah. so I think they hide that pretty well, uh, for the most part. Not um, from me. <laughs> <laughs> I liked her immediately. But anyway, uh, so my overall point is I, I think that unlike, uh, Unlike most female comedic characters, this is a seriously awful person, and and not just as far as the vulgarity, like doing seriously awful things. Haley Lou Richardson, uh, the word caramel is perfect for her. She's sweet. She's likable. She's enthusiastic. She's adorable. She's got a promising career, and this woman sabotages it. And the audience is supposed to, I think, like Haley Lou Richardson. We're not supposed to think she's annoying. We're not supposed to think she's a privileged prima donna character who deserves to be shot down. Uh, you know, this, but, this woman does awful things and sabotages her, her career. Um, but then she turns out to be the bitch, and the woman we thought was the bitch turns out to be nice. That was what I came away with from the ending. So. Uh, Haley Lou, uh, just because she throws in with uh, the gold medal coach? Yeah, and the town, um, and she's basically, and and the movie turns, throws her under the bus. Yeah, Because of the way her mother turns out. We're supposed to laugh that she got knocked up at the end. Like, ah, that's what you get for turning your back on Amherst. And, like, their name's taken off the plaque. Right. Uh, like, yeah. Like, they, they're they no longer interested in her either. Right. Now, I'm not disputing, yeah, that it does – like, it, it does become Sunday. I mean, there are touches of redemption. but And I, I really – I think that the, the fundamental awfulness of the character doesn't necessarily let up. But, yeah, you're right. They do have to get in a little poke at the end that she got pregnant by uh, her, her coach. Um, but what I'm saying is for the most part, when she is giving her that shake and getting her high, when, when she's uh, having her – telling her to go have sex with the, the, some random dude. Right. When, like those, the, we're not supposed to think, ah, ha, ha, look what that, that girl's getting. That's cute. Sucks. I mean I, I think that those are really mean-spirited takes on this character. And The, the movie exists yeah. in a universe though where that, that's funny. I mean it's a, it's a black comedy. This is, a, this is dark humor. Uh, but it, it's not pulling its punches with how unlikable this character is. And I feel no, that, it, that sets it apart from a Melissa McCarthy movie or even Trainwreck, the Amy Schumer movie, become, is a very conventional romantic comedy for the most part. Uh, 
train wreck doesn't even have the courage of its convictions with trying to make a movie about a promiscuous, drunk, uh, drug-addled, self-centered woman. She's still yeah. – Amy Schumer has to be fundamentally likable through most of train wreck. Um, yeah. So and at the end, redemption too. Like now she's perfect. Super redemption, right? She's she's great. Yeah, but it's just the standard romantic comedy formula, which I don't think is necessarily the, the case here. You know, I guess her and Thomas Middleditch do make up and everything, but um, yeah. But it's more but that's and, pretty it's, standard. I mean, that's a pretty standard romantic comedy. That whole the, their, the arc of their relationship is pretty standard. I mean, he takes her to he 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 breaks into a mall. I mean, he doesn't break in, but he's got like special way to get into the mall and then they have a candlelit dinner which is kind of quirky and a picnic and he woos her and then she breaks his heart and then he comes back to her. I mean, that's pretty standard romantic comedy thing. Are you saying that it makes the movie sort of like a a standard no, romantic I'm, comedy? No. I I'm saying that you're you're saying that it 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 might be slightly that I, I'm saying it's totally that. Uh, well, not okay. But, I mean, yeah, there's there's certainly that trope, but it, not in the sense that uh, Trainwreck compromises the idea that. It, well, I, I think that Trainwreck is a, is a very different example. Trainwreck was billed as a movie about this the, this nasty drunken character. I don't think it was that. I think it was a, conven- a completely conventional romantic comedy, even though that there is a conventional romance at the heart of this i don't think it's a conventional romantic comedy and again that's what all i'm saying is that's what i love about it and i think okay, it paid okay. for, it paid the price by by not doing well because there's a double standard uh about how women can be funny and this movie i think violates that double standard but you I, I would only actually go ahead, Kelly. Go ahead. no go ahead well, I was just going to say, you only think that though if you'd seen the movie and go that wasn't funny but like no one went to see it i think it was just like Maybe it was just well, not only did no one go to see it, it got terrible reviews. Like it, it was savaged. Uh, it got, you know, it, it, the, well, I didn't actually read any of them, but I'm assuming from the Metacritic aggregate and the Rotten Tomatoes aggregate that uh, even reviewers didn't like it. It was, I think, warmly received at Sundance, um, which doesn't necessarily mean much. But uh, I, I don't. Not only did no one go see it, the people who did go see it professionally hated it. Didn't like it. Yeah. But did they say that that was the reason? Like, she was a terrible – like, did you get – or did you even read the I, I have no idea. I'm, this is purely speculation. I but I do feel that there is a double standard. We can have a Daniel McBride. We can have uh, Will Ferrell. You, you know, uh, I, don't, I don't think there are female versions of that. Uh, Kristen Wiig has always got to be super likable and sweet and nice by the end yes. of the movie. Uh, and I, you know, I love that Melissa Rauch broke that uh, – I mentioned it as a crass ceiling that I think is applied to women. I love that she broke it, and I am sad that I think that that it cost the movie uh, any success that it might have had. When did Maybe because that, she's an Olympic. When did yeah. you say crass ceiling? That's a great line. Oh, uh, so I, I saw this and just wrote up a little blurb on, on oh, quarter okay. to three. Okay. Uh, about, yeah, just uh, and basically said what I'm saying here is that how come Danny McBride can be oh, okay. a jerk right. in a movie and a woman can't be a jerk in a movie? And I, I think what we're seeing with the failure of the bronze critically and commercially is that a woman can't be a jerk in a movie. Is oh. that there is a double standard? There's a crass ceiling applied to women that can't be vulgar, uh, and if they are like Trainwreck, they have to pull back from it. Uh, and they, you know, they can only go so far with it. And I love how far the bronze pushes it. You know, this idea too. You won't see this. I defy you to find a scene like this in another movie where she is at the bar 
and and she basically offers the the two black guys. You can double team me, sure. Like like a woman when she pulls off her panties the moment that uh, Thomas Middleditch uh, stops the car at the mall, um, where she's constantly trying to reach for his crotch to have sex with him. The the idea, you know, that, that a crass dude who constantly just wants to get laid by chicks that is all over the place. You can always have that. But you can't have a woman like I, she's a slut, and there's no quotes around that. The movie, right. the script is clearly about a woman who is a slut, and that is part of the joke. And right. I think that people don't want to think that's funny. That there's a double standard. There's a crass ceiling applied to women where they can't be unmitigated sluts in movies. And the bronze, yeah, you're right. That's true. The bronze is is does not allow that that ceiling to be put on Hope Ann Gregory. Well, I, I actually, I really love that point, and I actually love the the scene that you're talking about at the bar, uh, especially because the 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 two guys at the bar, the primary black dude goes, "Can you just leave us alone?" Yeah, I, I mean, I love the way that scene ends, where where the two, where he's like, "This is what you're asking us. Can you just leave us alone? Because we just want to have a moment here." Uh, I really love the way that scene plays out, and I and I and I I didn't read your piece, Tom. I apologize because I I don't read. Uh, your stuff before we before I watch it, um, uh, as I don't read any reviews and before I watch it. Um, but, but beyond when you, one of the reasons I'm so excited about that whole idea of the crass ceiling is because when you were originally going forward with this, I was thinking of it more in a political and almost a corporate way. That whole idea of whenever a woman, um, and why I say political is because of the obvious political situation we have going on here uh, right now, as we're running, as we have a woman running for president, <laughs> uh, is that. When a woman is assertive or when a woman is trying to be powerful or make a point, uh, she is referred to as uh, being a bitch or um, being shrill uh, when she makes a point. And um, I, I guess um, you just kind of made me like the movie even more right now because this this movie makes that point even uh, further. It makes uh, no bones about the fact that she is both a bitch and shrill. Exactly. Right. Yeah. Um, but – but we don't describe men in that way. And, you know, the, the, the same thing just happened. You know, Kelly made a Ryan Lochte joke a little bit ago. Um, Kelly wanted like, to pronounce Ryan Lochte. It's Lochte. You dorks. Um, these oh. these uh, white male swimmers get away with this this I really lying crappy thing that they did. They're totally lying. They're, and... And everybody's just like, "I'll oh, laugh at them. They're kids. Yeah, they're he's kids. pretty fun, but they're boys kids. will be laugh boys. At but but one uh, young black woman like doesn't put her hand in her heart, and everybody excoriates her. Right. I mean, if if a woman has this certain strength and success, she's thought of as being this overbearing, iron cast bitch, as Ed Harris put it in The Abyss. Um, but if, if a man does those things, well, he's super awesome. So I really love the way you put that, the crass ceiling, because I think that perfectly encapsulates what's going on in this movie. And uh, you don't even have to look at Danny McBride. You can look at like Will Ferrell's character in Anchorman. Well, I would much rather look at, at Will Ferrell because the, the Danny McBride example sadly fails because Foot This Way I don't think went anywhere uh, because I think he's too uh, unlikable. Uh, but that's his that's his stock and trade. That's what he's, right. Um, but but also, as, uh, as the lead in something, it's just too much for him. I mean, there's only so much Danny McBride you can take from for many people. 
Dingus, you sound like someone who hasn't watched eagerly every single episode of Eastbound and Down and Vice Principals. It kind of jumps the shark. It's very possible. Dingus, you sound like a guy who only had a passing fondness for your highness. Ah, I was about to say. Dingus <laughs> spirit. It's not passing. That's the thing. Although I was passing What's it to Kelly. What's the character? Um, but the slut thing is so true because I was thinking after Tom said that I was trying to think of an exception and I was thinking, oh, well, Tina Fey's character in Sisters. But then I thought, wait, she's supposed to be the huge train wreck character like Amy Schumer because she likes sex. So it's like if you enjoy sex as a woman in a movie, you're fucked up. There's something fucking weird about you. Like you're the bad – you're the black sheep of the family. Boo. It's so you need to be redeemed talk about a normal relationship. It's weird to hear you guys bring up Trainwreck because I love that movie so freaking much. I, I think like she did such a it, great job with that movie. I think Tom's right though on Trainwreck. Like, it, Trainwreck's really funny, and then in the last ten minutes, I kind of want to pretend that didn't happen. Well, especially if you look at what Amy Schumer does, because I think this is a clear example of the crass ceiling being shattered. Look at what Amy Schumer does with her Comedy Central series. Yeah. Uh, in, inside Amy Schumer, and it's not a movie. Of course. So we're, I guess we're talking about a different medium and it has different standards for success. But Inside Amy Schumer is brilliant and subversive and crass as all get out. Uh, and I, you know, if, if you were to watch Trainwreck after Inside Amy Schumer, expecting that level of, uh, of subversiveness, yeah. <laughs> you're going to be very, very disappointed. Of edge. Yeah, yeah but I, I, I don't think that you need to look at the movie in the same way that you're looking at what she's doing with the other medium. No, no, you're absolutely I right. Think, yeah. I think with that movie, she's actually reaching for uh, a Woody Allen kind of a thing, and I think she's succeeding in in almost a stunning way. I think that that writing that she does in that movie is phenomenal. I think that that, that the achievement that she makes in that movie, uh, I, I freaking love Trainwreck, and I think that she succeeds to an astonishing degree. But I think you have to look at Inside Amy Schumer as a whole different animal and respect that in an entirely different way. Yeah, and, and uh, I would actually describe uh, Trainwreck as as less an Amy Schumer movie, although she's you know ninety percent of what makes it good. Uh, just as far as tone and content, uh, I think of Trainwreck more as a Judd Apatow movie. Mm, I mean, LeBron's just funny in it. Like, it's a funny. The thing, I, the reason I like Turner is because there's a lot of good jokes in it. Like, it made me. There's a lot of good lines. Right, but what I'm saying is the tone of it is is, is the sort of thing. I mean, I think you can clearly tell that Trainwreck was shepherded by Judd Apatow. Uh, all right, well, that's uh, fair enough. But and I that's not a bad thing. I mean, I, I okay. love yeah. Judd Apatow. Uh, uh, but he's he, he has know, a he, talented pool. He's a, yeah, he's a crowd pleaser too. Like he doesn't. <laughs> yeah. He he would never make a movie like the, the Bronze. I, I think. He well, like makes well, movies like that very well. Yeah, like, LeBron and the Bronze. Well, just like these are because he's basically making romantic comedy. Like Trainwreck is a romantic comedy, and it's like it's a movie. It's one. It, he's found a way to make the genre like palatable to me, like in a small dose. Yeah, and Dingus, like, by the way, I'm not. Uh, I I'm in no way wanting to be dismissive of Trainwreck because I I like that movie a lot too because that's where I actually discovered Amy Schumer. I had never seen her stuff before. Uh, and I saw this, and it was, a, it was a revelation to me. I loved seeing Trainwreck. Uh, and even though it is I, – I feel it gets formulaic at the end. There's nothing wrong with being formulaic because a lot of times a formula works. Yeah, I, I, don't. End of, I think the end of Trainwreck is a classic example of formulaic but effective. You know, I love that scene at the end of Trainwreck. It's great work. And Well, Manhattan uh, is formulaic at the end. Ugh. Uh, uh, See, Woody Allen. I can't take it. <laughs> what? <laughs> Manhattan. 
Uh, let's talk about the, the supporting uh, – ca- oh, sorry. Did you want to jump in with something? Did- no. I, I, all of a sudden it just occurred to me. You said something about the taint monologue, and that was one of the things I hated. I hated the taint monologue. But go ahead. Go ahead and say what you were going to say. I, I just want to talk some about the supporting cast because I think there are a lot also of, of what makes the movie work. It's very much uh, a one-woman show where everybody else is the straight character. Yeah. Uh, there, there's yeah. no comedic sidekick. There's nobody else doing what she's doing. It is a the, the formula of this movie is a real a shrill, mean spirited character running roughshod over nice, decent people. Uh, and I, I think the, the cast of nice, decent people is part of what makes it work. I really like the supporting cast in this. Uh, did anyone stand out for you guys? Well, I love Thomas Middleditch. I love that guy. Mm-hmm. Um, and I loved what he was doing with that whole weird twitchy thing. And, uh, I mean, I just love the guy. And all I could think of was, um, when I said that any member of Silicon Valley could have played the Joker and how he could have done that. What exactly everything he's doing here with all of the Joker's dialogue from Suicide Squad. Right. Uh, I mean, I just, <laughs> I, I just love the guy. Uh, I love that. He doesn't seem to care if he appears attractive or not, um, and I don't mean that as a dig at all. I just, I just love that he just looks really like natural. such a natural, secure dude, but playing an insecure guy who is falling in love with a girl. Uh, and yeah, decent is a good word, Kelly. Wanda. he just seems he seems decent, and he's genuinely hurt. Um, and I feel for him, and I kind of hate her, but that's what's supposed to happen. Uh, I loved him so much. It was an accent, kind of too. Well, they were all doing this weird accent yeah. that seemed a little over the top for Ohio. Um, That's yeah, because she sounds it. like from Fargo. Because there, there. What I realized when I watch was watching the credits is that uh, I've forgotten that Take Shelter t- takes place in basically this kind of same overall area because Elyria's is uh, listed in the credits and. Um, and that's where the public library was that I brought up during libraries for Take Shelter. Uh, but they go a little overboard with that, but that's fine. I think that's what they're going for. It does make me wonder, Dingus, if this was uh, the script was originally like in way in some remote t- tiny town in Wisconsin. Yeah. Because they got a tax break to shoot in Ohio at the last minute, they were like, well, okay, we'll just take the shoot to Ohio. We've established the character. Let's stick with the accent. But <laughs> it definitely yeah, feels yeah. more like Wisconsin than. Right. than yeah. But maybe that's her backstory. But Gary Cole didn't have that accent, did he? Right, right, exactly. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, uh, and he was great too. I liked him. I like Gary Cole. Oh, Gary Cole can do no wrong. I mean, just yeah. watching it. And he, again, he's such a the straight man here. There's really no. Uh, there's no, he just sort of shows up and delivers a few pretty straightforward lines, reacting exactly as you would expect to mm-hmm. this shrill daughter of his. Um, but I love Gary Cole is so watchable. I mean, he's got yeah. he's got such screen presence and. Uh, I mean, I don't know why the guy's not a superstar. I guess he is. He's so good on. He is. Did you ever see American Gothic, a TV series he was on, where he was like a, a weird sheriff? Like oh, a, that's right. That's oh, right. Oh, wow. yeah, Kelly. that's good. Like a Bucky was on it as his girlfriend. Yeah. yeah. Sheriff Buck. Sheriff Buck was his name. Well, I guess he sort of slid into a very, very comfortable career as yeah, a, a supporting dry humor uh, character. Yeah. Because yeah. he's that's brilliant thing. on Veep. I mean, almost every single line. This is. This is this is a little unfair to say because it's almost true of every single character and every single line. But I was going to say he steals every scene he's in in Veep. But yeah, who doesn't in Veep? <laughs> That's kind of and the nature of that. And, and, and with that kind of a character too, who's not yeah. a scene stealing character. Yeah. But also, do you remember how awesome he was in the first Brady Bunch movie? 
Uh, man, <laughs> boy, that's that's a question you can ask a room and get a bunch of crickets in response to. Really, he's so funny in that movie. A Bra- who, nobody has seen the Brady Bunch movie, Kelly Wand, but you. No, he's super. He says it. He does his Gary Cole thing. It's that really makes me funny. want to. That's the only thing I've ever heard that ever, that has made me want to see a Brady Bunch movie. Let me. I'm going to send you a clip, and you'll see the genius of a Gary Cole. Who like, else famous is in the Brady Bunch movie? Um, if you can give me one other person that I really like. Uh, one of the monkeys is in it. My interest is waning. Go on. <laughs> Michael McKean's in it as the neighbor. Uh, okay, I'm okay with that because I like him right. in Better Call Saul. Yeah. So yeah. And uh, Shelley Long's Mrs. Brady. Uh, no, you're losing me again. No, Gary Cole. Okay, let me send you a link. There's <laughs> there's premium Gary Cole. In it. I actually, to be fair, like isn't the Brady Bunch movie a fish out of water comedy? Like the idea is that they're a. Seven- they're making fun of it. Yeah. Right. Right. Which it's like I, Star Trek Beyond, and he is. He just totally—I don't know. Right. He just did something really skilled, uh, and they give, and he has really good lines. Uh, so the I, problem with going to film festivals is, especially if you don't want to know a lot about movies, you might go see a movie based on just the image they use in the program or something. Uh, I remember seeing a movie called The Well. Which immediately was like, wow, okay, this is a horror movie. Why is a well important? And then the little shot in the program was it looks like the scene in Descent where the woman is coming up out of the bloody uh, pool and there's blood all over her face. But she's coming out of a pool of oil and she's got black over her face. Oh. I was like, whoa, this sounds like this is about like a sentient well that eats people. I'm going to see this. So I went to see it and it wasn't that. It was a, uh, a post-apocalyptic scenario with like Mad Max style characters trying to make a living. They don't have cars though. They're walking around. Uh, but the problem is there's a worldwide drought. So water is super precious and the survivors are having to camp out on what little patches of ground have water and that's why it's called the well. There's just one well. Uh, and the lead character is a woman whose brother uh, has, is having kidney failure so he really needs water. Uh, so she's got to find water for him. She's scouring the land looking for um, – Shoot, Dingus, you might know this. What's the thing on an engine block that Richard Burton ran around with in Night of the Iguana? It's got the, all the wires coming out of it, and it sticks on top of maybe the generator or the battery. Shoot, what do you call that thing? The alternator? Maybe. That's it. Does it have all the cables coming out of the top? The hood? <laughs> well, at any rate, she's looking for – I think you're talking for, about the alternator. Okay, that sounds right. Uh, she's looking for the, an alternator for an airplane so they can fly away and she can be redeemed and she ends up fighting the bad guy. And there's a super badass assassin chick and she has to fight her. And so this lead character is this young woman who's supposed to be like the Mad Max of the movie. And she's supposed to be really like athletic and there are fight scenes with her and the, the actress playing her was just terrible. And just had this cute little fresh cheerleader face and a cheerleader voice. It was just awful in the lead role and in the end fight where she's supposed to be grim and determined. She was just terrible and it was so such a sad letdown. The movie was already crappy, but that it was so egregiously miscast with its lead character. And that lead character, and she did see the Q&A afterwards, and I remember thinking, why are you in this movie? Because clearly they had a different vision and they cast you. But the, the, the lead actress was, was Haley Lou Richardson. Uh, so if you imagine uh, uh, Maggie Townsend playing Mad Max in a post-apocalyptic movie – and how wow. terrible that would be. That is what The Well, and The Well has been re-released under the more appropriate title, The Last Survivors. And I think it's on Netflix. Uh. But so after that, I, I was like, oh, this poor Haley Richardson girl is just terrible, and uh, she's cute, but uh, she can't act. 
I, I loved her opposite yeah. uh, Melissa Rauch in this, and just her her ebullience and and, and innocence and that caramelness. That you, that's a brilliant word, Kelly Wand. Was just a great compliment to what a dick Melissa Rauch was being. So I loved her in this, uh, and I didn't. I never thought I would say I loved a Haley Lou Richardson performance. And she has an arc too. Do you have any sense for how they did the gymnast gymnastics? Oh, I don't know. Are you guys like uh, as sensitive as yeah? Are you guys because I I don't care. Well, I don't care. Well, I care a lot because do it, you? Because what do you, can you do if you get somebody yeah, perfect exactly. for the role, but they can't do the gymnastics? But well, I definitely know. I don't care, but I, I'm I'm curious about it. I mean that. Oh, I see what you're saying. I just because, uh, it won't ruin the movie because I'm wondering how much could she do and how much couldn't she? Is she no. a gymnast that they made yeah, act? Right. And then there's that one beautiful scene. Uh, I loved the way that it was shot during the final floor routine, where the camera is just uh, moving in on. Um, uh, oh, good lord! I can't remember. Uh, Melissa, okay, uh, Melissa, Melissa Rush, yeah, yeah. Uh, Melissa Rush, L- Rush's character while the floor routine is going on. So you, you don't have to see the floor routine, but it doesn't feel like it's cheating. It feels like this is, this character is the point of the scene, and and I think that's perfectly done. But during like the long routines, I'm wondering how much did she train? I, I, so, so I care. I, it's okay if they cheated. I'm just wondering how they did it. First of all, that is a great shot, Dingus, and that shot is mm-hmm. kind of the movie in a nutshell, isn't it? Yeah. It's, it's, uh, yes. yeah. Here's this going on in the foreground. Here's this forlorn woman kind of watching in the background and thinking, okay, maybe it's a good idea, maybe not. And, and then we end up not watching her routine, and instead we just get a shot of Melissa Rauch's face. I love that shot. Yeah. But, so I'm uh, – and Dingus, I'm sure if you were to like sort of look closely – because I've seen the movie a couple of times. You would realize this, but I am so keenly aware when they cut to a body double. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and it – like even that one scene going back and forth, it starts with Haley Lou Richardson coming out and then carefully backing out of the frame so the stunt double can then do the flips through the frame, and then Haley Lou Richardson comes back on and does the dance. So my takeaway is Haley Lou Richardson is clearly a dancer. Uh, that there's no mistaking. Uh, okay. Even just the scene where she uh, bowls a spare, a spar, what do you call it in bowling? The, the, yeah, <laughs> spar. <laughs> Which your granny bowls as far? The, I don't, it's a nautical See, term. Right, that's the thing. It is a nautical term, but you don't get nautical terms, so you transfer them to sports. Well, I don't, I don't know. Maybe bowling is like a nautical sport. Like For all I know, it's something that was invented with the little pegs that you use to hold the rope on the sail, and they just roll it down the deck of the ship. Like That what's, makes sense to me. What's Tom's uh, nautical term for where you put a flag on a ship? Flagpole on the boat. That's where yep. you put the flag. <laughs> that's called a mast, Kelly Wand. Everybody knows that. I don't know what you're on. Yeah. But at any rate, during the, the bowling scene, when she does a little twirl, you can tell, that's oh, this, this chick is a, is a trained dancer. That's a good and point because so- she does, she, she does th- like three or four turns, and she's clearly uh, keeping her, her – yeah, yeah, you're right. But more importantly, the routine at the end where after the stunt double has crossed across the screen a couple of times doing flips, uh, she comes out and, and holds these dancing poses, and that's not faked. I mean, Haley Lou Richardson right. – and that's another thing that was a surprise to me is you watch the – or you watch The Last Survivors. There's no inkling that this woman has any athletic capability whatsoever during like the fight scenes, and that's the fault of the, the idiot director. Um, I shouldn't yeah. say idiot director because I looked this guy up. I'm always fascinated when you watch a crappy movie – how did some guy get to direct that? So I love clicking on somebody's IMDb <laughs> synopsis. The guy who did The Well slash The Last Survivors, he's a production designer for Adam Wingard's movies. Oh, like He's got God. a long list of horror movie credits, uh, and from a lot of Adam Wingard's recent movies, like You're Next, uh, The Guest, 
the upcoming Blair Witch Project thing. Uh, uh, this is the guy. This is his production designer. So at some point, Adam Wingard's production designer got it to direct a script, and it's terrible, and it's his fault that the fighting scenes didn't take advantage of Haley Lou Richardson's obvious athleticism as a trained dancer. Um, but uh, so uh, yeah, so Dingus, I'm keenly aware when a Somebody steps out of frame so that the stunt double can come in, whether or not somebody's face is is facing the camera or the back of her head. Uh, you know, when do they cut at the sex scene so you know that's a body double and Melissa Roush isn't really naked. Um, so, but I, I, I kind of wish I didn't know that. I kind of wish that yeah. I wasn't aware of that. <laughs> but when it, when she's doing those landings during the um, during the training sequences, uh-huh. Uh-huh. Uh, it still looks like her, like. You know, oh, you step too far back. Uh, you're not, you're not sticking the landing. It, it seems like I, I'm just curious about some of that. Stuff. I yeah, I don't think she ever came off of the parallel bars. Like I think you see the stunt woman coming off the parallel bars, and then it cuts to Haley Richardson basically landing, jumping off of a low platform or something, oh, okay, doing right. the pose. But it, no, you're right. Like Dingus, like I, if I didn't know who Haley Lou Richardson was, I might wonder. Well, wow, is she a trained gymnast? Well, obviously they got a body double for a couple of these things. Which ones were really Haley Lou Richardson? Um, but yeah, so. Well, let me ask you this: in the in the music in the floor routine. Um, when they were developing or practicing the floor routine, they were using this Ace of Bass song. Right. And she's like, no, no, Coach P would never have done that. She would have used this other piece, this this classical piece. Tchaikovsky. Um, yeah, exactly. And then in the actual floor routine, she's still doing those same, like, arm-over-arm moves that they were doing for Ace of Bass. Do you think that the music we're hearing is the actual music that she's doing it to? Or is, the, is it one of those situations where, like with Victoria, where we're hearing music that we're just hearing and she's hearing something else? I don't know. Like, how does, I, don't, I don't even know how gymnastics actually works. Like, could they get away with playing Ace of Bass for an Olympic gymnastics routine? I don't know the answer to that. Uh, I don't know. Well, you guys know sports. Like, can they? Can you play like a contemporary? Well, maybe it's not even piece? done. Maybe I, I have no idea. You oh. probably can, but it's frowned upon because it's like the academy. Okay, then, then I would guess. Shirts. Okay, yeah. All right. Yeah, I, I don't. Yeah, I don't know. Um, also, uh, for some of the real people who are in this, I was quite amused to see that uh, this guy Craig Kilborn showed up as one of the announcer dudes, as one of the announcer people, because um, he's he's. Uh, I don't know if you guys know who Craig Kilborn is. Is he that Scottish guy? The he was the first Hawk Daily guy? Show. Guy. He was the first oh. Daily Show. He's not Craig Ferguson, but he was the first Daily Show guy. Um, and he he's kind of got a um, he's an old school a Sports Center vibe to him. Uh, yeah. And he was widely thought of on the Daily Show before John Stewart got there to be a, a total dick, uh, really difficult to get along with, a total diva, a dick. Um, and it's funny. It seems kind of loche to ask. <laughs> Lochte, will you stop? He is uh, very, he is very Ryan Lochte as far as the way Ryan Lochte is, has, has played out over these Olympic, uh, over these Olympics. So when I was watching the movie, I was like, is that Craig Kilborn? Where, 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 where have you been? Uh, because he's gotten a, he had a fairly bad reputation for the people who love the Daily Show. So to see him, Playing the playing that particular character who's just you know doing the uh, some of the announcer stuff that we've seen in things like Best of Show or Best in Show rather, um, it was just funny to hear Tom say earlier 
about people who are uh, about her being irredeemably uh, a bitch or whatever, however you would describe her character as crude or crass. Uh, he's he was well known as being just a total dick. Right, right. Yeah, I don't. So, I, yeah, you, you sports people. It's funny know. to see him show up here. That's all I'm saying. Right, right. I like Sebastian Shaw and his character. <laughs> I, I I actually really liked him. I thought he was very I thought he funny. Was, he was and the I first one to stand up to her, and so he's a fearsome opponent. Sebastian Shaw, Kelly Wand. Is that his name? What's <laughs> his name? You're close. Sebastian At least it's Shaw. the right number of letters. It begins with the same letter. It's Stan. Stan. Yeah, which is a weird How last am I name. supposed to remember that? I know, right? <laughs> Why isn't it Stan Sebastian? Why has he got to be that guy? I think Sebastian Shaw is one of the brothers in the Fast and Furious movies. One of the bad guys. Yeah, it sounds like Statham's characters. Maybe. Oh, that's right. <laughs> Wow, Diggis, I think Diggis is right. <laughs> yeah. What's the difference, really, though? But yeah, I thought he handled the comedy very fluidly. Like, it was great to see, oh, the, 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 the poor dude who has to be a, a badass bad guy turned good guy in the Avengers movies. Look, he's funny. Yeah, yeah. in the Avengers movies, he never gets to be funny. He has to act brainwashed all the time. So you don't know how, what, an act, what a kind of an actor he is at all. Right. Yeah. And he wins and I, me over immediately when he, yeah, tells, he does. It tells who he is and then he flips his, his badge open like he's like from the FBI. <laughs> he does that a lot too. And when he, he's pitching to the mom, uh, taking over the training of Maggie, it, he ends it by going, we, if we go, we're going to, I'm going to take her all the way up. And then he points up. Yeah. His <laughs> and then, and she's that. like from one mother and she points up to heaven. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So, wait, Tom, did you – oh, you were just laughing because I said his name wrong? You thought he was good in it, right? No, no, I did, I did like him a lot. Uh, and I, we also saw him – shoot, it's a family scene, and he's the gay character, and his parents are total assholes. What is the movie I'm thinking of? He's like Billy Zane in this movie. No, but what's the movie I'm thinking of? We talked about him before. He's uh, It's like there's it's a – there's a, oh, oh, Ricky and the Flash. Isn't he a, a oh, gay God. son in Ricky and the Flash? No, really? Boy, I don't know. Is he? I think that's. Never, a, I don't remember you saying that. Uh, we've, well, it was before we probably knew who he was from. Uh, uh, I know you're right. I just don't know if that's it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. You're so, I, right. and I, I really liked him in that. So, uh, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm glad to see him getting out of the the whatever tights. He, does he wear tight? Do they wear tights in those Avengers movies? I've forgotten. Yeah, it's to wear an arm. Uh, yeah, I'm glad to see him getting out of that <laughs> fake prosthetic arm and. Does he have a cape? They probably have capes on. I don't remember. Does this character have one of those hats that goes over his face? This character sat in a motorcycle sidecar driven by Captain America in the motorcycle. He has a mask over most of his face. It's the Robin for Captain America. Oh, ouch. That's terrible, Kelly Wands. So So my over and under, my under is is Foot Fist Way, which is a movie I love. And I love that, like Dingus says, that it goes nowhere. It has zero redemption. Uh, And I love that uh, it it was where I first, quote-unquote, met the Danny McBride we know today, you know, his little character in, in All the Real Girls is cute, but he really comes into his own in Foot Fist Way, and that laid the foundation for his career. So I loved Foot Fist Way for introducing me to this this character. Um, uh, and this is slightly over that because I love this movie introducing me to, to Melissa Rauch, but I'm afraid – this movie is com- crit- critical and commercial failure. It's overwhelming failure. Um, like th- this was the I think 14th worst opening of all time. I looked at the list. Uh. I hadn't even heard of the other movies on the list. Uh, they were that bad. Um, so I had the 14th worst 
movie of all time? Worst opening. opening. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and and, and uh, I, I hope, but I suspect what this means is that poor Melissa Roush is not going to be able to make a career out of doing these kinds of characters. She's going to have to go to whatever, I guess, sweet, innocent, cute, bubbly, short blonde she plays on Big Bang Theory. And I don't know because I don't watch that show. I don't watch that either. Yeah. But – the, you know, people. Dis- this is one of those movies that people discover because I didn't know about it till you told me about it. Although I hope you're I right, Kelly Wan. Like, I, I would love to see this get a follow. Word of mouth. Thing. Yeah, yeah, and maybe it'll do better now that it's on video on demand than it did at the box office. And also, I actually don't know this, but maybe Sony screwed up the marketing. Maybe it I'm being like unfair it. to say that it's an example of there being a double standard towards uh, humor and women. Like maybe yeah. if they had marketed it better, people would have been more accepting of that. I don't know. Um, but whatever caused it to fail, I'm worried that it means that unlike Danny McBride in Foot Fist Way, I'm not going to get to see Melissa Rauch pushing this kind of humor, which I would love to see. So my under is Foot Fist Way. My over, very slightly, is the bronze for introducing me to Melissa Rauch. She is just fantastic in this. My Over, which is a movie slightly better because it has so much more heart and it is not relying on black comedy, uh, but it's another example of uh, just a fantastic uh, female-centric comedy is, of course, Bridesmaids. I like this almost as much as Bridesmaids, which I, I of course, adore. So those are my overs and unders. Dingus, you mentioned an under before, I think. What did you say? Uh, before I get to that, I, 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 I do want to say uh, we had one listener write in, and I forgot to say anything about him because I've been really enjoying the discussion. Uh, Rob Lowe wrote in, um, and he said that um, it felt more like a fictional sports drama than a straight comedy. And, that's, <laughs> and he said that's okay. Um, that's what redemption does that makes me want to see more sports dramas how sports dramas go wow okay so Rob Lowe also said his favorite scene must have been the post-quittal one in the arena as Tchaikovsky's Swan Lake scene played in the background Uh, I I didn't know I didn't realize it was Swan Lake that was going on because I I really like that Rob Lowe brought that to my attention well that's where uh, Sebastian Stan is is saying all these mean things to her, and they do that building classical music in the background, if I'm not mistaken. I uh, think you're absolutely right. Yeah, because yeah, the music sounds really dire, and there's obviously a routine or something going on in the background, but it's clearly to indicate what a, what a dick Sebastian Stan is being. Yeah. Exactly right, yeah. So anyway, the, the um, as far as over and under is concerned, I said my over was win-win. Uh, oh, right, right. Because I really, really like this movie. Uh, I loved win-win, uh, and I like this as the vulgar version of win-win. That's mm-hmm. kind of how I felt about this. But I, w- what I was doing in 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 uh, choosing my over/unders was just choosing, kind of thinking on Tom's Sundancey scale. And that that's really what I was thinking. Like as I was watching this, I was thinking. Actually, we have so hold that thought real quick, Nick. How did you feel? I don't think you answered this. How did you feel it it fell on the Sundancey scale? You asked us about that. Well, uh, I, I'm I'm kind of putting it on there as I as I do this because I okay. think when win is more Sundancey than this is, mm-hmm. but I don't I don't necessarily think of that as a pejorative. Right. But it feels like a pejorative when you like when we when we did this the, the win win podcast. I remember you asking me that, and, and I'm feeling like I have to defend the movie against being Sundancey because Sundancey sounds like a negative thing or, or uh, not negative maybe well, you, just- know who's, you know whose fault that is Ding. This is a, there's a movie that is just typically I, th- I think I'm sure we talked about this I don't think any of us really like Little Miss Sunshine and that's thought of oh. as the quintessential Sundance movie oh. and that's an example of Sundanciness without any content t- t- to my mind uh, right. so that's why movies like that give it a bad name I think 
I think you're right. You're absolutely right about that. Um, uh, but anyway, when I, so sometimes when I was watching this, I was thinking this had to be a, had to have been a Sundance, but not the same Sundance that would have accepted Win Win. Uh, it just felt like um, a, a more current version of Win Win with 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 more more of our values. And I don't know. I, I don't know how to how to describe how I felt about that. But Diggis, actually, before you say you're under, I do want to point out the, the Sundance that this came out of, 2015, the other movies that were bought from that Sundance, can I read you guys a list so you yeah, know? Yeah, yeah, please do. So uh, so uh, Relativity came away with the bronze. They bought it for $2 million. Um, Sony, who ended up with the rights for this, they also bought – what did they buy from there? Sony bought – oh, Diary of a Teenage Girl. Did you guys ever see that? No. I, I, I don't see there's a diary in the title. Uh, you would like this, Kelly. Yeah. There is some uh, some nudity in this that you would definitely appreciate. Oh, all right. Uh, an actress named Belle Powley who's really good in it. Uh, and it's also oh. – it's Kristen Wiig and Alexander – it's it's Fish Tank but with Kristen Wiig and Alexander Sarsgaard. I don't know if that sells it for you guys. It's one of my dumber rules. I should get rid of it. <laughs> but anyway, Sony bought that. Uh, from from Sundance, so Diary of, the, of a Teenage Girl. You guys don't know what that is, then. Uh, uh, Universal's label, Focus Features, bought Cop Car from that Sundance. Uh. Uh, uh, Fox bought uh, Brooklyn, Mistress uh. America, and Me and Earl and the Dying Girl. Those also were the 2015 Sundance. Mm. And A24 bought uh, Into the Tour, which is that movie about David Foster Wallace where Jason Segel plays him. Which I've never I like seen. that movie. Oh, really? Because I. I Okay. But even though, I, but only because I think I'm really into the author, so I was like, oh, he's kind of acting like that guy. Well, it's, I mainly want to see it less for Jason Siegel than Jesse Eisenberg. I know it's about Jesse. He's really Eisenberg. good at it. Eisenberg's really good at it. Okay. Uh, but A24 also bought a, an abysmal movie with Ryan Reynolds and Ben Mendelsohn called Mississippi Grind, but they also bought a little movie from Sundance 2015 called The Witch. <laughs> uh, see? Oh, my. Right. So The Bronze was. A uh, and this was a, a score for Relativity. The Bronze was sort of a, a ch- one of the releases that was being bid over in that group that Relativity ran away with. So. Maybe they thought it was going to be Trainwreck. Like they would go, oh, this oh they this. clearly. I think they clearly did. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I think clearly. Yeah, but they didn't train. They didn't schmaltz it up enough. Maybe. Uh, I hope that's not the. Yeah, I hope that's not the lesson they take from it. So all right, so Dingus on the Sundancey scale, win-win, which you love, uh, and again accepting that Sundancey doesn't have to be a pejorative. Was more Sundancey than the Bronze? What's something that's not quite as Sundancey? Oh, um, this is actually more Sundancey, but I like it less because it's more Sundancey. But I don't know quite how to use this term anymore. Uh, but anyway, this is a movie called The Spitfire Grill, which I actually Ew. saw at Sundance. <laughs> <Wait>. <laughs> I, so I, I confess I have no concept how that movie is, if at all, any different from Fried Green Tomatoes. Uh, there's more trees. <laughs> more, I, I should say more coniferous trees. Is that what you fry the tomatoes on? Yeah, exactly. That's what I'm thinking of. You fry them on a Spitfire grill, right? Yeah. There's Allison Elliott in it. She's in. It's made uh, out of steel, mag- magnolia steel. Can you get Mystic Pizzas made on those, Kelly Wand? Uh. Uh, who's Allison Elliott? Why do I recognize that name, Dingus? She was in The Assassination of Jesse James by the coward Robert Ford. There she, were no women in that. Who was, who was – the sister? Yeah. That Jeremy Renner's into? Oh, wow. What Once else? you're crossing Delancey. Kelly, why do we move past this? <laughs> <laughs> 
You get no satisfaction. Okay, what? <laughs> I just, I, I, you know, the, this is part of that film, uh, film festival syndrome you get into, like summer camp syndrome. Uh, and I totally, th- this is a an audience favorite. I think, I think I saw it because. Uh, it was one of those uh, audience award winners. Um, it was called Care of the Sunset Grill when I saw it. Uh, it was it, The title was uh, shortened then to the Sunset Grill. Um, hey, when you eat there, do you wear your traveling pants? <laughs> you uh, you Kelly, wear your sisterhood. Kelly Wong uh, can do this all night, I bet. I'm, I can't stop. <laughs> it's too funny. To me, only. Sorry, what was the question? Spitfire Grills? So, are you recommending the Spitfire Grill movie? No, no, no. I I, I haven't seen it since then, and I won't go back to it because I think it must be terrible. Okay. Um, But uh, I would put it under this because it's it's got to be more schmaltzy than this. Right. Would you watch it during nine to five? She plays a character who I think, if I if I remember, she plays a character who has been released from prison, and she goes to a small town and gets a job at this little cafe. uh, Where so, Alice doesn't live anymore? Yeah, she doesn't live there anymore, and neither does Alice B. Tuckless. Um, <laughs> I think it's, you just broke you just broke the formula. That's, that, yeah, stop. That's not a. We cannot accept that reference. You 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 just failed to. That's fit not a, a reference. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> What's wrong with you? Uh, so many things. Are those, are two of those things Thelma and Louise? <laughs> <laughs> Jeez. Kelly, one quick. What are your overs and unders for uh, the bronze? Uh, my over should be Wildcats, Dingus. But <laughs> that sounds like a sports movie. It's the Goldie Hawn soccer coaching movie. Oh, good lord! It's the it's the girl version of Ladybugs. Ironically, if you think about the titles, which is the Rodney Dangerfield girl soccer. That's movie. right, sports movie. Yeah. But my under was young adult. My over. Ah, oh, right, right. Yeah, I learned some about relationships too. Let me tell you later. Well, I also would be curious if you had any specific thoughts about that that sex scene and if it taught you anything about relationships. Uh, the best part of having sex with a gymnast is the landing. One, two, three, not only you and me, got one Kelly Wand, do you know the term for a gymnast's landing? Uh, the flagpole? The circumference. The uh, dirty trombone? Wow. You're close. I bet Dingus knows this one. I have no the, idea. The reach around. The camel toe. Come on, you guys. Did you not see a movie called uh, The Bronze? Am I the only one who saw that? I thought you knew an actual sports term. Tom, I think, you're, I think your camel toe is off. <laughs> <laughs> Dingus, shut your cock hole. What's that? Never mind. Well, I, it's like my cat. <laughs> I do. I do love that exchange. Where it's like, don't, uh, don't worry. Yeah, yeah. Don't worry about it. Right. Uh, uh, all right. Let's do our favorite deleted scenes from movies. Uh, this you can use. I think for the most part, we don't need to narrow down what a deleted scene means. We all know. No. Alternate endings accepted. Um. Yeah. Whatever you We're like. We're not accepting outtakes or um, bloopers. We thank are you, Dingus. Yes, absolutely. We don't. We don't want things where somebody starts laughing and they have to redo the scene. That's not what we're looking for. Actual, like, intentional content that, for whatever reason, was removed or or even wasn't shot. Perhaps you might have that as a pick. Uh, 
Um, so, uh, Dingus, you are introducing next week's topic, so why don't you start us off with your third favorite deleted scenes from the entirety of moviedom. Boy, I can't wait to hear why you chose this topic, and I hope there's like one in particular that inspired you, mm-hmm. because this was a really frustrating topic for me to do. What? Why? Uh, because I, I'm one of these people. I don't like deleted scenes. Right. I really, I really hate them. Right. So, so coming up with my favorite one was really difficult because I, I was, I started by looking at my DVD collection, uh, you know, with your special features, and I have movies that I love on my DVD collection, and most of, many of those movies I love in their current state. And there's a reason that de- deleted scenes aren't in the movie. So it was yeah. really, fr- it was so, fr- Tom, this was so frustrating to watch it. And I got depressed at one point <laughs> watching, what? I was watching. Yeah. I, I literally got depressed. I, I felt my, I felt depression fold over me at one point when I was I watching. I thought it was a, a lot of fun. Oh man. Well, I, I'm, I, I got would... so upset. I'm glad Dingus mentions this. Cause I'm with him 110% Kelly wand. If a movie is bad, and it has deleted scenes. What do I care? Yeah, if a movie is good and it has deleted scenes, they no, were probably deleted for reasons that the person who made the movie good knows they should be deleted for. They're I don't very, know. I, to my mind, I mean, there's some deleted scenes that are interesting, but all of mine are picks that I think would have made the movie better and weren't in the movie. Oh, um, right. oh. And that's rare because all of mine also are, are movies that I really like. Um, Wait, yours are ones that would have made the movie better? Yes. Yeah. Because oh, I know a lot of the standard picks, and we'll talk uh, about some of these, are movies where I completely understand why they're not in there, and I agree they shouldn't be in there. But the I have three instances of movies that I really, really like, and I wish that these scenes had been in there. Well, I had a really hard time finding that kind of thing because yeah, yeah. Uh, because I would I would watch – because many of, of the DVDs I have that with deleted scenes also have commentary – for the deleted scenes, right? And so you can you can watch the deleted scene and then listen to the director or whomever talk about it. And one of them that will be my runner-up, uh, I, uh, the the writer was talking about as as they're watching the deleted scene, he's like, "This is why there's editors. I hate yeah, this. Yeah. Why are we watching this? I <laughs> I fucking hate this. Can we get rid of? It? Why do we have to watch this? I mean, I felt the guy's skin crawling as they were doing the scene, and it made me feel terrible for him. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, this was really frustrating for me, not because it was a difficult topic, but because of that that thing that you just said, and I I didn't I wasn't able to look at. It seems necessarily where I felt like really the movie would be dressed would be really improved if this were in there. Yeah, yeah. And, and but there were a couple that I watched where I was like, oh man, this this is exciting to me because it's out of the movie because they were right. smart enough to leave it out of the movie. That made me happy. Well, then you get to discover it later, like after you go, you know what you think of the movie, and then you're like, yeah, wait. But wait, it also gives me gives me faith in the editor and the director. Yeah, yeah. yeah. This, from, for, this could have been a mistake. You know, here's yeah. they avoided. This is a pitfall, and they 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 saw past it and they avoided it. Yeah, yeah you get okay. to try to picture the movie if the scene had been in there. You're like, wait, would that have been? I like it as a scene now, but if I watched it the first time, would it have ruined the movie, or would it have just been out of place? Well, it's like I mean, I, it's, I'm sure no one picked this, but it's like there were scenes of, of uh, I think Killian Murphy and the Asian captain in Sunshine, like they played chess with each other, and uh-huh. I was like, oh god, like a whole chess, but like chess in movies is often so. Wait, they play the whole game of it. <laughs> well, it's just they, that was their their character introduction. Is they're the super smart 
analytical, thoughtful guys that play chess on a spaceship. Uh, there's uh, no payoff to that. Right. Well, exactly. And, that, and they cut it. And I remember yeah. seeing that in the deleted scenes for Sunshine and thinking, good on you guys. <laughs> yeah. Remember when they, they left that in in Snow White and the Huntsman's War? Remember there's two chess scenes at the beginning with Charlize Theron? Like, oh, she knows how to play chess. Look out. And that's exactly that's the sort of thing, right? Yeah. Chess is almost never a good idea in a movie because the, the it means the, the writer wins. The writer or the director, that's all he can think of for shorthand to show us that a character is smart. He knows how to play chess. Yeah. But in Blade Runner, they use chess as a password. What? Well, because Roy Batty tells him a move to make, and then it lets Terrell let him. At, uh, what's this? Oh name? yeah, right, right, very good. And that that okay, I'll I'll give Ridley Scott a pass on that. Actually, well, we'll talk about Blade Runner in a minute, won't we? <gasps> no, <laughs> what? At any rate, Dingus, what is your third favorite? So all this being said, what is your third favorite deleted scene from a movie? All right, here's a quote from it. Uh, you weren't wearing wingtips, were you? So this is from a movie. I'm not going to let you guys guess because we just guess bunch of movies um <laughs> this is from the movie office space uh and this is one of the scenes where gary cole is talking to ron livingston that they cut um and ron livingston has come to talk to him i mean i'm sorry gary cole has come to talk to him and ron livingston's like yeah i was uh and gary cole says yeah i came over at like 10 a.m and you weren't here and ron livingston uh, was uh yeah i was in the bathroom and gary cole's like uh, yeah, I went to the bathroom, and <laughs> says I was in one of the stalls. And Gary Cole goes, "Hmm, you weren't wearing wingtips, were you?" <laughs> so uh, this is just one of my favorites because, as and, and I was just so pleased when Tom was talking about you, you when you both were talking about Gary Cole and how he just can do no wrong, and and even that is just such a gem. And and you could have shoehorned that into the movie if you wanted. Get it? would have been fine see that's uh, a great line why would yeah, yeah why would mike judge cut that that's awesome because that's so a, character driven because there's so enough awesome. movie there and, and and what i love about it even more is that he's constantly carrying a mug and a mug seems to feature in um the movie that we saw today all right right two mugs technically one yeah, very good, Tom. yeah yeah gary cole's mug <laughs> I love that reveal when she says something about – because you think it was like in some ceramics class and she talks about homeschool. Yeah. (laughs) That was one of those moments where I just got so pleased about homeschooling. And then after that, it's the the homeschool diploma. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I love when she changes into a a nice outfit for her date. It involves just putting on that little pink skirt under her track. Yeah. yeah, my dad is staring at us with uh, with stuffing in his mouth. Yeah. <laughs> or when she yeah. thinks that Coach P might have the money hidden in offshore Florida accounts. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Kelly yeah. Wand, what is a third favorite deleted scene from a movie for you? Uh, my number three is – I'm not sure if I'll get pulled over for this, but um, extended editions – it, was it in the theatrical release? No, it was not. There you go. I think you're fine. Okay, all right. That's okay. That's what I thought you said. All right. See, this I just is, want to uh, clarify. Okay, all right. This is why my number this topic bothers me because of because of things like director's cuts and extended editions where these things get thrown in. But anyway, go ahead, Kelly. I'm I'm sorry. This, well, this topic this really got got under my skin, Tom. Well, I definitely did say. Uh, well, we'll talk, we'll talk about it in a moment. Right, go ahead. Reasons, Moving on. You guys will find out. Yeah. All right, so uh, Kelly Wand, what is the thing that you thought Kelly, was going to I'm, I'm sorry over? I interrupted you, Kelly. Go ahead. 
No, I'm thinking of changing it now. <laughs> no, you can't. See what you did? It. You rebooted him, Dingus. I apologize. I should. Because it's too boring. It's just like, well, this is this was no, good. Don't, good. No, don't. just it, go it, with your instincts. Fine. You're fine. Go with your instincts. All right, my instincts said. No, I should change it. Okay, <laughs> my number three then is uh, in Lethal Weapon One. What? <laughs> no, I love you even more. There's a scene where. Mel Gibson takes out a sniper. He, like, by being crazy, he's like, like a sniper shooting at school kids. And Mel Gibson steps out into, like, the park and just, like, walk, walks past everyone. And they're like, sir, you're in the, you're in the zone, the, the shooting zone. What are you doing? But he's crazy. And he just walks past it. And the sniper just keeps missing him for some reason. And then the sniper hides. And then Mel Gibson lights a cigarette and he goes, you only pick on school kids. I'm right here. And then the guy raises That's, it. That's your Mel Gibson impression. <laughs> you, you, do you, need, you want to go back and work on that again, Kelly Wandry? You're good with that. You good with school kids? I'm right here. <laughs> <laughs> That's not bad, actually. Because he's an L.A. cop. Kelly Wandry, you, ac- you accepted uh, my bluff. I accept your bluff, Tom. <laughs> You only like school kids shooting them? I'm right here. Like he's a school kid, and then he takes out the sniper by shooting him. And then the lethal weapon music comes out like... With his pistol, though, right? Yeah, with his pistol. He he outshoots a sniper with his pistol. (laughs) I love that so much. You guys know that there's a lethal weapon TV series impending. Do you know that? Stop. stop. Nope. Totally true. Uh, Say again, Kelly Wand? Not with them, though, right? No, well, please. No. Uh, I'm if actually, it was, I'd watch it, though. If it was them, I'd totally watch Riggs and Murtaugh. Uh, I'm actually looking forward to it because of the character who plays uh, Riggs. No, who's Mel Gibson's character? Murtaugh? Riggs. Riggs! Uh, so Gosh, they have, they have yeah. a Wayans brother playing Danny Glover, but the guy playing Mel Gibson uh, is an actor. I don't guess you guys would know who this is yet. Um he, he's in a TV show called Justified, which I only watched a little bit of. But he's an actor named Clayne Crawford. Um, does that ring any bells? So he's in a movie called S- – not Spectre, Spirit. Who, who is in, he in Justified? Because I watched uh, like two oh, seasons. Oh, he's the, uh, the brother-in-law who gets molested with coffee grounds. Does that ring any bells? No. Okay. <laughs> All right. Dingus knows it. Oh, Dingus, Dingus, you know Justified? Oh, no, no, not Justified. Dadgummit. Oh, shoot. Um, Jesus, Tom. It's the one where the guy gets out of prison off death row. It's called something like Justified. Prison I, break. No. Oh, shoot a monkey. It's not the Timothy Oliphant thing because that's Justified. What is the one? Yeah, that's Justified. No, it's like rec- de-reckoned or reckonated. Shoot. What is De-re- it called? Reckonated, I love. Is it a past tense word? Yeah, like something like that. Like the guy has been – he's gotten out of – he's on death row. He gets off of death row and goes back to his family, and it's, he's in this small town, and everybody in the small town doesn't like him. Uh, who played the brother in Take Shelter? Michael Shannon. No, no, no. no. Who, who's his brother? His older brother who kicks uh, who kicks him out of the Woolworths and, no oh, brother, where art thou? What's that actor's name? Help me out here. The guy with three names? Oh, that guy. Oh, I love that guy. Well, he directed this and wrote this TV series. What is that guy's name? Dingus, help me out here. You've you right. got to know this. Yeah. He's the bigger brother. Uh, you know, don't uh, – if you want to remind what it's like to get an ass whooping from your older brother, he's got that great line with Michael Shannon in Take Shelter. Do you guys not remember who that is? I'm going to – I'm not looking it up. I am accessing the files of my memory, and his name is not in the first page of the cast for Take Shelter. Shoot. The guy who played Squiggy? <laughs> 
his name is Ray, Ma- Ray McKinnon. Oh, that was going to drive me crazy. So yeah, Ray McKinnon uh, wrote this TV show called – and again, I'm just remembering. This TV show is called Rectify. It's not <laughs> Rectify? Yeah. That is pretty close, though. Like, it is. I don't, West Dom now. It's not past tense, but rectify. Right. Re- I was never going to pull that out of They dare to it's... call something rectify? That's so uh, yeah, dangerous. It, it makes its own jokes, doesn't it? Yeah. It really does. Rectify. It's like justified, but rectal. How does that even work? But at any rate, there's an actor in Rectify who is who is really good. Uh, he doesn't play a likable guy, but uh, the guy's great. And so he's in an action movie, Dingus. With James Badge Dale and a friend of ours named Brian Casp called something like Spectre or Spirit or Ghost. (laughs) Spectify. Actually, yeah, Spectify. I can look it up. So it's a verb, but the title's a verb. Spectral is the the action movie. So Clayne Crawford and James Badge Dale are the leads in this action movie called Spectral. Oh, Bruce Greenwood, too. Uh, Hello. uh, at any rate, Craig. Clayne Crawford, who's this – I really Clayne like the guy. Crawford is a great name. It is a great name, and he's he's a really good actor. And in the little commercial I saw for Lethal Weapon, he definitely seems to be channeling that crazy, likable, handsome, Mel Gibson-y kind of thing. Uh, so at any rate, we can now get more Lethal Weapon on – I think it's like Fox or something – on TV. How do you feel about that, Kelly Wand? I'm so hard. <laughs> it's awesome. I think Kelly Wand's Mel Gibson was great because there was a moment in Lethal Weapon – where um where Murtaugh's really upset about something and uh, what and Rick, lethal weapon <laughs> and Rick, they're, they're like sitting on an overpass like and he's sitting and Riggs is sitting in the trunk and he's like have a French fry he says have a French fry <laughs> have a French fry or as we call them chips we're gonna have to get you registered as a lethal weapon yeah have a French fry. I really think that uh, Mel, Gibson, Mel Gibson movies really needed not just like one person, but a team of people who would be like speech coaches for, for Mel Gibson. Like that, <laughs> that must have been really challenging back in the 80s. Does Mel Gibson speed coach Tom? <laughs> you know, that's not his name. He's not a coach. He's an athlete. It's not called Dancing with the Coaches. <laughs> uh, my third favorite deleted scene. Now, I might get in trouble here because it's not so much – that I like the deleted scene, it's that I hate the scene that replaced it in the theatrical release Ooh. more than I like the deleted scene. Uh, and this whole movie was like recut. Speaking of Mel Gibson, by the way, all of this is his fault. There's a movie from 1999 named, uh, directed by Brian Helgeland named, uh, called Payback. Um, yeah. and, and Mel Gibson shot Payback with Brian Helgeland, who wrote and directed it. And Mel Gibson wanted certain changes made that basically made his character considerably less of an anti-hero. Mm-hmm. And that was the theatrical release. And furthermore, whereas the villain had been Sally Kellerman, is that her name? Sally Kellerman's yeah. voice? You never saw her. You only heard right. her on a phone. Uh, that was the main bad guy, the sort of the boss in this, if it were a video game, was just her voice. But Mel Gibson was like, no, I don't want to be a bad guy. And he was he was still doing Lethal Weapon movies here, I think. And he was worried about, I don't know, his image for whatever reason. Because he was a producer. He was the lead. He basically took creative control from Brian Helgeland. He cleaned up the character. He added Chris Christopherson as a main villain who he, who he faces off with at the end of the movie. Uh, he gave the ending a, a much darker tone. And that was the payback that was the theatrical release. So in – and this was eventually recut, and you can get it on DVD – Brian Helgeland's original version, 
there are restored scenes. And the one I'm going to pick specifically for my favorite is the very ending uh, where instead oh. of uh, sort of shenanigans and he outsmarts the bad guys with a little gimmick with a bomb, whatever. Instead, he just goes to a train station. He has a ill-conceived gunfight, gets the crap shot out of him, and is basically sitting on the curb waiting to die uh, when Maria Bello comes and picks him up. And there's no guarantee he's going to live. Basically, drives him off, and you can almost assume he's going to die. We're not sure. Uh, but more importantly, so I love the darkness of that. I love just how clumsy that 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 gunfight is at the, the subway platform. Um, so uh, that was deleted from the theatrical release. That's what I like. But here's the here's the real clincher. Maria Bello's character. She's, a, she's like a high-class prostitute that he was involved with. And when he goes to visit her, she's been given a big old guard dog. And yeah. the dog is like, uh, of course, super aggressive towards anyone who's maybe threatening towards her. Uh, so the dog gets shot. Mel Gibson shoots the dog. And then later in the movie, we see, oh, the dog is lying on the floor with a bandage on him, and he's fine. And in the theatrical release, they drive away with the dog. In the Brian Helgeland version, the dog is never seen from again. Mel Gibson shooting the dog kills it. Like that is clearly Wait, shoots the dog or Mal shoots the dog. Uh, you might be right. The dog gets shot. Uh, I don't remember who shoots it. Then. Mel Gibson's not threatening to her. He wouldn't shoot the dog. Who shoots the dog? Is it? Is it? I think it's Park Mal, the asshole. Park Mal Park right, right, right. Park yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, but at any rate, they 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 make sure the dog lives. They show us twice. The dog's not dead. He's been patched up. And furthermore, he rides off into the sunset with him. Uh, so, and, and also, and this I feel a little bit less comfortable saying it's my favorite deleted scene because it's super uncomfortable to watch, but it really establishes what an antihero is. When he first meets up with Deborah Carr Unger, who plays his heroin junkie former girlfriend, he beats the hell out of her. Like in, yeah. in trying to get her to get off uh, heroin, you know, so he can close her in a room and get her to quit cold turkey. He basically beats her. I mean, it's not like a beat. There's like a fight scene between them. Yeah. Uh, and he flings her to the floor in the kitchen, and she broke a rib during that scene. Yeah, so yeah. when they deleted it, she was like, what the fuck? I broke a rib shooting that, and it was all for nothing. Now. Yeah, and it's basically a scene where Mel Gibson is beating a woman, and that, that yeah. says a lot about this this character. Uh, and, you know, he's beating her for ultimately a good reason <laughs> to, to get her off of heroin and because he cares about her and he wants her to live. Uh but it's it's a it's a violent. But she also betrayed him. Oh yeah, she betrayed him exactly. Yeah, she. Uh, did she commit suicide or did she get murdered? She commits suicide, but yeah. he blames Freddy Rodriguez, her junkie or her uh, pusher. <laughs> She's the junkie. Sorry. And we also don't have the early scene where uh, you show him being patched up. Like like they establish early on in the movie that he's like super tough and superhuman. Like he can take gunshots and then just get patched up by an off-the-books doctor and then stroll back into town. None of that is in the the originally intended version. Like, Mel Gibson wanted that established early on, so they reshot stuff. Um, yeah, so uh, basically all the stuff that Mel Gibson wanted cut out of payback to make himself more sympathetic as a hero, those are amongst my favorite deleted scenes. Huh. All right. Dingus, what is your second one. favorite deleted scene from a movie? I don't know why you thought you'd get in trouble. Well, because it's more about things like uh, – yeah, okay, good. Thank you, Kelly Wand. I don't know why you thought you'd get in trouble for, for your pick either. I changed it. <laughs> That's why you get in trouble. But I'm going to use it as my number one because I, now I want to get in trouble. All right. Excellent. Yeah. All right. My number, 
2 is one that uh, I confess that I didn't even know about it until this week. Um, and the reason it's one of my favorites is that it pleases me that this director uh, cut the scene out of the movie, even though I kind of like the scene. I really liked watching it, uh, but I don't think it belongs in the movie. Um, and I'm pleased that the, the director cut it out because I think that in the last couple of movies or a few movies I've seen of this director's, he's ceased to do that. He ceased to be wise enough to cut out, mo- cut out scenes that should not be in the movie. Um, and I, I think that given that this is one of the, this is the absolute first movie I saw from this director and really loved. And I think, um, it makes sense that it's not in there. I know that had this movie been made now in this director's career, it would not be as as good a movie as it is, right? As it as it was, or as it is, as it as it stands. Uh, if you can if you can follow my reasoning, uh, if he were to make this movie today, I don't think it would be as good a movie. So th- this movie uh, and scene, uh, this is a scene that has Nina Shimasko. Uh, in Reservoir Dogs, uh, which I didn't even know existed until I started looking up deleted scenes this week. Um, and I went through my collection, and uh, I usually don't do this, but I also went looking online for, for different scenes because I, I don't have everything in my collection, and it's hard to just imagine what are deleted scenes. So I think I had to do a little bit of research um, that was beyond my DVD collection. Now, I've never even heard of this, Dingus. So yeah, this me either. Is, this is the scene where she's uh, giving more information to Mr. O- Mr. Oh God, Lawrence uh, no, no, he didn't have a color. No, she, she's a co- she's a cop who's giving information to Tim, Tim Roth's Roth. character, Orange, uh, Orange. Who's Mr. Orange, yeah. about Mr. White, and she's giving background information on him. Is she uh, even in the movie, or she's like an actress we don't even see? I don't know. I don't remember a single woman in Reservoir Dogs. Uh, there's the woman that gets that gets shot. Who's right, the robbery. Tim Roth. And, you know who they they carjack. I mean, she shoots them. You remember? But did, did, did Tim Roth? Yeah, I do remember that actually coming. But did Tim Roth always have like a female cop handler? I remember the the black dude who was was that Jeffrey Wright? No, no, Wright? and the and the no, no, he okay. has a Jeffrey Wright look about him, but he's, okay. it's not Jeffrey Wright. Uh, no, but the but the three of them are in. It's kind of it's kind of two scenes, but then they have a a meal where they're sitting down. And they're talking about the the file that Nina Shimosko's character has um, has dragged up. And she's talking about, and so Tim Roth and the the cop handler who teaches him the monologue are also sitting there, and they're all eating, and they're they're kind of joking around as she tells him the story of who Harvey Keitel's character is, um, and it, it kind of makes him more sympathetic. Uh, it makes Harvey Keitel's character look like this is the only the thing that he wound up in prison for is the only thing that he ever did wrong and it's not even clear based on the evidence that he necessarily should have gone into prison but he did but who knows um and the idea of the scene i think is to structure this idea that tim roth's character and harvey Keitel harvey Keitel's character have this really special bond um, and if Harvey Keitel is a cop killer, then Tim Roth shouldn't be like bonding with him in this way, but they do. Uh, and the information that she gives him sort of gives you the idea of this 
uh, familial familial relationship that they end up, you know, establishing as criminals. Um, and it, it's a fairly long scene, as many Quentin Tarantino uh, <laughs> scenes are. It has a, a, a couple of in-jokes about movies, as many of his scenes do. Um, and it's a fine scene on its own. Uh, it's entertaining to watch. But again, when I'm watching the scene, I'm just thinking, this scene, while I like watching it on its own, has no no business being in this movie, which Reservoir Dogs, I just think of as lean and clean and yeah, fast yeah. and quick and having such a great pace to it. And having this kind of scene would just stick out like a sore thumb. And I feel like all of his movies of late are full of sore thumbs. <laughs> uh, there's a, he, yeah, a lot of deleted scenes are in his theatrical releases these days, it seems. Yeah. <laughs> and, and this is why I love this scene, because it it indicates to me that Oh, back then, when his editor, uh, I forget her name, bless her heart, I'm sorry that I can't remember her name because she died, um, when she was still alive, uh, was cutting this stuff out. And also, you know, he was making movies that he couldn't afford and had to cut stuff like this out. He was forced to cut stuff like this out. And now instead we get these bloated movies with a bunch of stuff that feels like, like, why didn't you cut this scene out? It's it's a fine scene on its own, but it does not serve the movie. Dingus, it's okay. super important that we see Zoe Bell in Hateful Eight in interacting with everyone in that little way station before it gets shot up. We Absolutely. need to see that, Dingus. It's super important. I totally know you're right about that, Tom. Uh, but anyway, uh, this, what's the, the what Nina Shishmaksko? What's her name? Do we know who that is? From Nina Shishmaksko. Uh, have you heard of Casey Shishmaksko? That's what I was. I wondered if that was how you yeah. say that guy's. Last that's name. how I that was his sister. Okay, yeah. that, That's his sister. I primarily know her from West Wing. She's one of Jed Bartlett's daughters. Oh my God! With the TV, she's the one who doesn't quite get along with him, and they they have to like reconcile as father and daughter. Um, uh, it's not Zoe who was the woman from uh, the one I love, and I can't remember her name. Oh, shoot. Uh, Elizabeth. Uh, Moss. Moss. Thank you, Elizabeth Moss. Wait, no. Isn't that the model, the super skinny model? That's Kate Moss. Never mind. Elizabeth Moss is right. Yep. I think so, yeah. Um, but uh, but um, Nina Shmosko is also in, in West Wing, and that's why this sort of resonates with me. And she's not in the movie in any other way, but she plays this cop who's like an undercover cop who's giving them information. Say that last name one more time. Shmosko. Really? I, I say Shmosko. Yeah. It's it's S I E A S Z K O and I say Shamashko, uh, but I'm the most Polish. Frequently H. Oh, okay. Yeah, Dingus's people know it's this. The same way it. that uh, Mike Shashevsky gets the Shashevsky. <laughs> I don't even Does know. Shashevsky. Wait, say it again. Shashevsky. Mike Shashevsky, and it looks like Chris Oh, I think Patty Shashevsky. Mike Shashevsky, and I think it, I think it's Nina Shamashko because I remember Casey Shamashko's name being said that way. And what's the cop's name in West Side Story? Kripke? Kropke. Officer Kropke. How dare Officer you? Officer Kropke. Sorry. I, need, I didn't mean to upset. Oh, my God. Kelly Wan with the musicals. Oh, Dingus oh. with the television shows. Oh, Dang it. There was, a, there was another uh, There's another deleted scene that had a joke about if your, na- your name is SKI or SKY. And I can't remember what deleted scene that was. I watched so many. Tom hates West Wing references. <laughs> All right, moving on. Anyway, to be fair, I've talked about more TV on this podcast than Dingus has, bringing up like Justified and Rectify and the Fox, the the Lethal Weapon series from Fox. I'm all about the TV shows these days. Yeah, and Fortitude. 
rectify. I know, uh, I know, right? Who who let that go by? Like Ray McKinnon. Let's let's give it a different name. Uh, all right, Kelly Wand. What is your second favorite deleted scene from a movie? Oh wait, I was gonna say something cool. Yes, we don't want to miss that. Remember when you were talking about uh, Smokey and the Bandit and credits montages of them laughing? Wait, so you were going to say something cool like from a year ago when I was talking about Smokey and the Bandit, and you're just now remembering this and wanting to make sure you get it in? Well, I only thought of it just now. <laughs> yeah, all right. Yep. I can't. Kelly, I'll set you up for this. Oh, my God, I can't stand those Smokey and the Bandit movies. They're just terrible. And then there's all that stuff at the ending. Oh, I hate Smokey and the Bandit. It would be cool if... At the end of Smoking, one of those Smoking the Bandit movies, there was a montage of the characters not laughing at a line in the movie that they're supposed to laugh at. Mm, I feel like I shouldn't have gone out of my way to well, set that up. <laughs> when you said the time, it, it just made me think of that guy who says, man, I, I just can't wait to get out of Africa. <laughs> you know who that guy is. Yeah. Do you? No, you don't. I'm going to call. I'm going to accept your block. Do you not know? Oh, come on. That's the guy from Upright Citizens Brigade. Do you know who that is, really? Well, no, I know the guy that he's talking to is the guy is a guy. I told you this, who is also in Parks and Rec. Oh no, no, I'm thinking though of the Matt Walsh of the equation. Yeah, Matt right, Walsh, right, and right. both of them are. Okay, you did know Matt Walsh, right? I did. I wouldn't. And you have told me about the other guy who I think looks like Mike from Mystery Science Theater 3000. <laughs> and you're right, I don't know who he. Yeah, he's he's to me. There's Matt Walsh, Amy Poehler, and then the other one in uh, in Upright Citizens Brigade. So he's the yeah, other one. Okay. Yeah. All right, uh, Kelly Wand. Oh, my God, here's me talking about more TV. Upright Citizens Brigade. You Kelly don't think Wand. it'd be funny at the end of Stroke or Ace if Jim Neighbors was like, he was supposed to say, golly. And oh. he just, Ugh. Are we back on that? Oh, my gosh. Oh. <laughs> my number two is uh, uh, Stroke or Ace. Uh, there was a preview for Stroker's Ace, Stroke or Ace that I missed. I love that Dingus thinks it's called Stroker's Ace. Stroker's Ace. Uh, I was totally into – what's her name? What's her name? Lonnie Anderson. Lonnie Anderson. I was totally into her because, you know. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And I and I had to I, I went out uh, I didn't get into the theater until after that trailer finished when I forget what movie we were watching uh, and my friend my best friend I think it was like sixth grade uh, Brian Hoyer goes you totally missed it in the trailer she she was topless and I was like no what and he was like I'm just kidding ah! <laughs> punked in the like, preview. Yeah, I got punked by my friend saying that in the preview, Lonnie Anderson was was topless. So me and your friend both made Stroke Race funnier in our heads while watching it. The Burt Reynolds ingenue that really captured my adolescent imagination, and I don't think there was actual nudity, but she opens her shirt up. like She unbuttons it, but you don't actually see her breasts. I remember just being really confused by how I felt about Lauren Hutton in Gator. Why are you guys laughing? It's not funny. She's like super hot in that movie. She's kind of flat. Right? What? What are, you ta- what are you talking about? Oh, are we making a breast size reference? No, no, no. Flat's not funny. I just just funny. I thought Gator was funny. Yeah, the way Tom said it eagerly. Like, <laughs> he's the Gator. Like, I said it in the Mitch same. Gaylord was in Gator. I said like, it in the same tone of voice that someone would say, uh, you know, Citizen Kane or uh, Toy Story. No, you said it like Gator. <laughs> As if there's an exclamation point. At and that. I was picturing you like an alligator, like rising out of water and <laughs> raining on you. And you're looking at Lauren Hutton's tits. And you're just like with a crocodile smile. Like, yeah. 
Then you had credits for Reynolds as a laugh. I love your version of Gator <laughs> Kelly Wand. <laughs> but if I could get serious for a minute. God, idiots. Sorry. I'm going to do a quote from my number two deleted scene, and I want to know if Tom recognizes it. Okay. Right. I thought this would be on your list. Wait, can Dingus not play? Is he not allowed eligible for this quiz? He's eligible. He might get it. Because nice. if you watch deleted scenes, this is kind of an iconic one. Bum, 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 bum. It's a diehard yeah. thing. You're obviously. Ah, oh, you haven't seen this. You have to go watch it immediately. Wait, well, why? <laughs> why? Wow. Why did me guessing it's a diehard thing make you think that I haven't seen it? Because it's one of your favorite movies. You, you just know. did Ode to Joy. What else am I supposed to think? Oh, of? Oh, it's I'd from see? Jaws. Yeah, it's from Jaws. It's the clarinet scene. All right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, with Quinn, I've heard about this, but I don't think I've ever seen it. Uh, it's so funny. It's on YouTube. You should check it out. He's it's playing totally Ode to Joy? Classic. Yeah. It's a clarinet. I thought it was a flute, but I guess flutes oh, are I so you, you, I, you would know better than I do. I haven't seen this in years. So no, all I know I, is there's some scene, I've never seen it, where uh, Quint's like making fun of someone, a boy practicing for the band, right? Is that what's yeah. going on? He goes into a music store to buy some uh, worms or something. In a music store. Yeah, that's so another <laughs> weird thing about it. All right. He asks for something. Now I know goes, why this scene was deleted. I see. He goes, give me some vertebrae, and I can't understand what he says, but then the the cashier's like, oh, the fish eat that? And he's all, I eat the fish, or something. <laughs> the kid starts playing the clarinet. The kid who's ahead of him in line, and uh, there's like, you see the kid playing the clarinet really somberly. This like 12 year old kid in glasses, like Ogilvy. Why is he playing music? There? Oh, so it's a, it's not a bait store; it's a music store. All right. Otherwise, wait. So there's either bait sold at a music store or a kid playing music at a bait store. One of these two things existed in in this deleted scene. Yeah, or he's the kid of the cashier lady who sells bait. Ah, okay. She's making him do his clarinet. At home. Ooh, I could do that. Yeah. yeah. That makes more sense. Okay. Is and somebody eating saltines? No, but he's still being – it's him with his hand on the chalkboard, but verbally this time because the kid's trying to play. And then Quint starts out kind of humming along with him. And then as the kid starts fucking it up and, like, squeaking, Quint's all bump, 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 like <laughs> Is he, like, doing a whiplash thing to him? Like, he's J.K. Simmons to the kid's Miles Teller? I can't tell, because it's like he's spitting on the kid back of the kid's ears at the same time, too. But he's also sneering and smiling at the same time, and the kid's, like, totally deadpan. It really is whiplash. Wow, all right. It's the best thing ever made. It's a shame that wasn't in there. Yeah. My, guess, yeah. my mm-hmm. second favorite deleted scene in the movie, uh, This this is... People erroneously will call this the director's cut, and I think this is an important instance where, no, it's not the director's cut. The director did not want this scene in there. Uh, there are several of these scenes that did ah. not make it in the movie, uh, and it's important that you call it not a director's cut but an extended edition. edition. Uh, and in the extended edition of Aliens, there are famously scenes where Burke tells Ripley about her daughter. That's cut. There are scenes that take place on LV-426 uh, where we see – the family that discovers the the eggs uh, that got cut. There's Hudson doing this monologue as the ship is dropping uh, about their weaponry, and that got cut. Um, uh, and, and the scene that did get cut, which is the only one – and I understand why those are cut, by the way. Having Hudson do a monologue, that is 
crackerjack pacing from when Apone is getting everyone to get their gear together and he's talking them through it and they get on the drop ship and Pharaoh lands it and like to have a monologue in the middle of that would make yeah. no sense pacing wise. Uh, furthermore, it would make no sense to show us what happens on LV426. It would kill a lot of the tension as the Marines arrive, and we're like, what's going on? If we know, oh, family's found an egg. I mean we can infer yeah. from the movie that we're watching that that's what happened. Don't show us that. That makes no sense to have that. Furthermore, even Burke telling Ripley that she lost her daughter, some people feel – and I, I can understand this, but I disagree with it – that it's an important part of establishing Ripley's character, that she had a daughter, so therefore her regard for Newt – uh, is more than just a, a passing maternal regard that a woman might have or anybody might have for a little girl, and that it brings out more strongly the themes of motherhood, comparing her to the alien. I don't feel that that's needed. I mean, we get that. It's clear when Ripley goes to save the little girl from these crass Marines, you, you know, that there's this maternal aspect to it. We don't need to know that she literally had a daughter. It works. Right, right. How, however, the scene that I really miss and that I think wouldn't have hurt the pacing and would have done a fantastic job establishing the aliens as a threat is that sentry gun bit where they set up uh, sentry guns. It's after they've encountered the aliens, so we just know that they crawl out of the walls and they'll overrun them, and they have to get on the APC and run away and then hold themselves up in a room. And they set up sentry guns around the perimeter, and there's a little monitor where you can monitor how much ammo is in the sentry gun. And supposedly they're so powerful and they have enough ammo that they will protect them for as long as need be. But in the sentry gun scene, we don't see any aliens. We hear the noise of the sentry guns firing off, and we watch those ammo counters count down and then run out of ammo. And, oh, what, that is, and what that establishes is how many aliens are out there. Now, this is important because later the way that Cameron establishes that, they only had three alien suits in this movie. Only three. And so to, to imply that wait, wait, there are – what do you mean they only had three alien suits? If they ever wanted to show aliens on screen, they could never show more than three at a time. Oh, th oh three – Practical alien suits. Yeah, 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 exactly. And there's oh. no CG in the movie. I mean, it's all practical. So if, if Cameron ever wanted to show, if he wanted to create this sense that there are lots of aliens, which he does, he just does it by cutting together scenes of one or two of them and cutting them together quickly and making it seem like there's one over here, there's one over there, there's one over there, ah, there's oh. one back there. It makes it scarier, though. Oh, well, it makes it scarier, it's but I mean, it, it works, it's fine, but but the where you see the, the more. The, the most aliens you ever see on screen is three, and that only happens once, and that's when Hudson peers his head up into the roof, and he sees three of them crawling towards him. That oh, is the man. most aliens ever on screen at one time, and those are the only suits that they had. They only had three uh. they could use, whereas I feel that if we had had that sentry gun scene, that would have even uh, further yeah. established – I mean he did set up just fine that there's bunches of them, but I think this is a great example of, of – of, of implying how many there are using really effective economic tools of storytelling. Uh, it's like not showing the shark in Jaws. You know That makes it yeah. scarier. Uh, having this little readout with these powerful guns, and they're stocked with ammo, and oh my god, the ammo is running out. Ah, is it, how much is left? It's empty. You know, Having yeah. that happen, and I think one of them actually like counts down to like three rounds or something, and then the aliens back off. Like It's that kind of thing. Uh, where they barely, by the skin of their teeth, drive the wave of aliens back. Mm. Uh, so of all the extra scenes in the extended edition, and there's even some stuff – I'm, I'm okay mentioning this – there's like scenes deleted from Alien for similar reasons because it, yeah. it showed cool stuff, but it killed the pacing at the end. And Ridley Scott rightly thought, 
well, we've established all we need to establish. We're in a pacing issue now. Let's just have the movie hurtle along to its conclusion. Hmm. Uh, so they cut out the scenes with Brett's body and Dallas's body being discovered. Um, and I'm fine with that. So for the yeah. most part, all the extended edition stuff in Aliens I can do without, but I love that sentry gun scene, and I think it would have made the movie better. I love, right. I love huh? the way you put that, Tom, because uh, I tend to throw the sentry guns out with the bathwater um, in in that edition of the movie because I was so disappointed by the way that whole opening and all the family stuff. Right. It just totally uh, – it, it really upsets me the way that it messes with the pacing of the movie. And so that sentry gun stuff – and I've heard this said before, or I've, I've heard it just cursor – Argued in a cursory way, I should say, um, why why it matters, uh, but I but I have tended to throw it out because that whole all that family stuff just I feel like it just bogs the movie down. It bogs uh, it down and it, it undermines a lot of the the mystery too. Exactly right, exactly right. It's a terrible but, thing to do to your movie. Yeah. But now that you've described that the counter thing and talked about those and the practical aspects of filming it, which I had no idea they only had three alien suits, which is, I think hilarious and great to know. And genius. That. Yeah. Uh, it, yeah. It's, it does sort of lend some genius to it. I can, I can sort of see, and I, I guess I'll have to watch that again. Cause I mean, this is something that both of us own, um, that I would like to watch again and just watch the century scene and, or I wish I could. I wish there were a way to do this sort of seamless branching that you used to do. You know, I think when I think The Abyss is one of the first movies that did this. That that you could watch it with this branching quality, where where you could have the directors oh. cut and, and and it would branch in certain scenes. Um, like, do you want to go to this cut of the movie now or this yeah, cut of the movie? Exactly. Right, right. Okay. I would love to be able to watch the movie just with that, the, the with the scene you're talking about, because the, I find the family stuff so distasteful. I would have left in the line about the daughter, though. I really like that, actually. Well, I, I, I go ahead. I'm sorry. I, go ahead, Kelly. Well, just like it, it makes her that much more alone in the universe, and she gets even. She's been even. She's even more fucked over than she thought she was, and it's like you get a sense that not only was she the alien thing, like she's not only getting billed for all the stuff that happened, but like she's 90 years out of her time, so it's like she's going back to a. A war, an Earth she doesn't even recognize anymore, which isn't that doesn't really go anywhere. But like, maybe that like it sort of helps explain why she's so eager to go back to the alien world. Like, fuck this place anyway. Well, two things. First of all, she's not eager to go back to the yeah. alien place. She she's has not to do eager, it. She's right? Like, she has to do it. She's she's having nightmares. Right, right. She's, right. she's realizing the only way she's going to get over this is she takes Burke up on her offer and and, and sees them eradicated. Right. Um, but also, she's just leaving behind. I don't know. Like it's well, just second of all, Kelly Wong. I mean, daughter, to get yeah. at what you're saying, I agree. Everything you're saying, it does establish that. But I also think that all those things you're saying, we can infer just fine. Uh, like right. when, when we, when she, when he says to her the number, I think it's like 87 years or whatever that she's been gone. That says to a perceptive viewer, or you can just infer from all of that. Everything about her family is gone. Everybody she knows is gone. The world she knew is gone. Like that number that Burke gives her. That is, to me, an example of economic storytelling. Right. Sure. That but it's part. also it, – And it's in a book, by the way, in a book or a TV series, that what you're talking about, that would be drawn out, and it would make it clearer, and some people prefer that. 
But one of the things that I really admire is that shorthand way to just create in the audience or the viewer's mind or the reader's mind something and then let them run with that. And, and sure, but that line establishes and no other line. And this is this is no longer in the in the in canon. But like she was a mom when Alien right, happened, right. and so that's something we didn't know. And it's sort of it's sort of we reappraise her the way right. we kind of reappraise when we find out her first name's Ellen, right? Which is kind well, of, also from the also deleted by the way. Yeah, yeah. That's in that, and I'm I'm fine with that. I do not need a meet cute in the in the climax of it. No, I don't either. Right. <laughs> Tom, look at like Kelly. Look at Tom tragic. using the word meet cute. Remember you when guys, he you didn't guys, know what that meant? Yeah, he taught me a lot on this podcast. Isn't it great to see him coming along like this? <laughs> and he uses it for aliens. Yeah. <laughs> Dingus, what is your favorite deleted scene from a movie? All right, this is a scene um, that I haven't seen in a long time, and this is a DVD I've had on my shelf forever. Uh, and I, I love this scene as a standalone scene. I love watching this scene. I do not want it in the movie at all. <laughs> so that, this is, you know, this is why this topic was so difficult for me, Tom, uh, because I love the movie the way it is. I love the way it. I love it as its whole, but I love this scene too. I love the way this scene works and what it says about the character and the main character in the movie, and how it works. Um, uh, but I love it almost as a as a sketch or or a, a little like tiny play. Um, but not as part of the movie. And the, oh man, Tom, I had such a hard time with this topic. Gosh darn it, you. Um, uh, because <laughs> Do you hear him cuss me like that, Kelly Wand? Gosh darn it. thing is, why don't you cuss normal? <laughs> yeah. W- would you like me more if I cuss normal? Because you're, you're breaking God's heart whenever I do that. I would be so proud of you. <laughs> All right. Heard him, uh. All right, so uh, here's a quote from this particular scene. Uh did you see the Sex Pistols, God Save the Queen, in there? It's free. Uh, so this is a deleted scene from the movie High. How would you say the the title of this movie, Tom? High Rise? High, high, rise. high Fidelity? How would well, you high say Fidelity, it? right, because you have so high-fi high and low-fi. That's yep. right, high fidelity. Sci-fi. Fi. You have sci-fi. Yeah, so it's high fidelity. That's right. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Good. Good. I don't know what you get. High fidelity? That makes no sense. I know, it makes no sense. Gaydar. Uh, um, but there's this weird scene in High Fidelity um, where uh, where John Cusack goes to uh, this, this rich person's house, um, and this this wife has, has asked him to come up there. It's played by Beverly D'Angelo, and she's offering her husband's um, record collection up for sale. And uh, he walks into this mansion, and she goes, "There it is." And there are these records just on this beautiful, in in this beautiful built-in, you know, shelves on this wall. And she goes, "Also these." And she pulls shelves out, these huge shelves out beneath. And John Cusack starts going through the lower shelves, which are forty-fives, and he's just aghast. He's amazed. He's utterly transported by the things that are in this collection. He can't believe the things that are in this collection. He's pulling out the Sex Pistols thing. He's pulling he's pulling out classic 45s. Um, and she goes, all right, give me 50 bucks and you can have it. And what the scene was designed to portray is how um, ethical he is. And then he's, he's saying to her, no, 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 no. This, you understand that this is worth 
exponentially more than you're asking me to pay you. And she's like, yeah, I know, but it's 50 bucks. You can have it. <laughs> He's like, no, no, you, you can't sell me this for, for that amount of money. This is impossible. You can't, you can't sell me that for this. Uh, and she says, well, uh, my husband ran off to Jamaica with his mistress and, um, he told me, sell my record collection and send me the check minus like a 10% <laughs> fee for the guy who you sell it to. Um, and she's like, so, uh, go ahead and you can pay $50 for it and I'll send him 10%. And he's like, I can't do that. I can't. And she's like, yeah, you're a cat. You're another collector. Really? So she's, she's, she's. Beverly D'Angelo is so sexy in this scene. So there's this weird quality of the scene where she seems to be slightly kind of trying to seduce him, but also trying to seduce him into buying this so that she can just send like five bucks to her husband and tell him to fuck off. Because basically she's saying, if I send him too much money, he can come back. If I don't, he won't. Um, I mean, it's it's really a well-structured scene. The, both of them are really great in it, but it has no place in the movie based on how the movie runs and the pace of the movie. I can't imagine this scene being in the movie. It does have, has no place, but it's a great scene because both of them are so good in it, and, and it's a good idea of what his character is about. But he portrays what his character is about when he's behind the desk in his record store, so it doesn't really belong in the movie. Uh, and I totally accept that it's not that it doesn't belong in the movie. So again, Tom, that that idea of a scene that would have made the movie better, right. this fails at that. Right. But I, I, nevertheless, I love watching it as a separate thing. If if you if you understand the distinction. Sure. Sure. Right. Yeah. Right. I thought that scene was in the movie. Uh oh, Dingus. Am I gonna? Have oh to? no. Investigate right. you? Is, are we going to have to launch a have a convene a grand jury? Impanel a grand jury? I meant favorite included scene. <laughs> no, it's a deleted. I scene. trust that Dingus. Yeah, Kelly Wand. Kelly Wand. Some of us do our due diligence on our picks because we don't want to get arrested. It just sounds so familiar. Maybe it's in the book. I'm sure you've seen it. Oh, oh. Well, it might Thanks. be in the book. It, well, it must be in the book if it's in the movie. I mean. Uh, yeah, Kelly Wand, wait, adaptations, what? yeah, they don't like make up things to put in a movie. It's from a book, please. That's a good point. Because Gatsby <laughs> is exactly like the book. All those musical bits were in the, the F. Scott Fitzgerald. Yeah. And the Baz Luhrmann. That's all I remember from the book is the musical parts. I really wish you guys were more up on the on John Cusack's recent career like I am. Because I can't it, – it's so colors – it so colors my memories of him in stuff like High Fidelity. Like this is the guy that would go on to do um, like Drive Hard with Thomas Jane, or uh, he plays like an evil kidnapper who Ryan Felipe has to fight in Reclaim, or he, he kills a bunch of zombies. Reclaim, rectify. <laughs> Reclaim, not past Another, tense, or, by the way. Yeah. Or how about when he plays a sheriff in Windmill? Windmill. <laughs> There's a movie called Windmill. That's not true, Dingus. You're tricking me. Nice try. I'm not gonna fall for it. You already did. <laughs> Wait, you're the Don Quixote of the podcast. Uh, who's yeah. positive? I'd rather be the Rosinante. What the fuck? Uh-huh. I out classical reference to you, Kelly Wan. <laughs> Suck it. Suck it. I haven't read it. I'm just saying. I saw Lost in La Mancha, the documentary. Uh, I only know that from a terrible – oh, my God. Here's me with TV again. From a terrible uh, <laughs> series TV. on the sci-fi channel called The Expanse where, where the spaceship is called the Rosinante, and they explain that that's uh. – it's either 
Sancho Panza's mount or Don Quixote's mount? It's got to be Don Quixote's mount, his horse. Yeah. Not, yeah. Why are you going? Why are you doing that noise at a horse, Dingus? Oh, I thought you meant mount. <laughs> Dingus. Oh, gross. Equestrian's not a verb. Look, <laughs> <laughs> oh, guys. Kelly Wong, what I want to know. FYI. Yeah. Speaking of giving us information, what is your favorite deleted scene from a movie? Oh, my first information on the scenes that were deleted from movies. Now, I understand this is your number three, and it got promoted in the course of uh, doing this podcast. Yeah, because your number two made me feel a little better about it. Uh, I'm not sure. I'm going to do a quote from it. Shut up, Saruman. (laughs) Or whatever they said. Is that from one of the, that's from one of the Narnia movies, right? Yeah, it's the third Narnia movie, the one with Eustace Clarence Scrub. Uh, no, in the end of uh, I mean at the beginning of Return of the King, although it would have been better at the end of Two Towers, uh, Saruman dies, and they cut that from the theatrical release. But he dies in this really awesome way, like he falls on a spike in a paddle wheel, and then the paddle wheel just starts rolling slowly. While his body's stuck on it. Oh, I do remember that. Yeah, I like that. Yeah. Yeah. And that's like, and Christopher Lee was really upset that it got deleted, and I agree with him. Because it's like, without it, I'm a little. They also cut the scene where the trees eat the orcs at the end of Two Towers, which also bothered me. There's a scene where trees eat orcs in the extended yeah. edition? The Ents eat them. And that's why Mary and Pippin were like hassling Treebeard all that time and harassing him. Man, I don't remember that. I would think I would have uh, remembered that. Yeah, I don't know that. Dingus, yeah, can you va- we can't vouch for you on that, Kevin. Yeah. Ents actually eat. They actually eat the orcs. Well, it's implied. You hear the okay. trees. Okay, yeah, that's chewing. what I thought. <laughs> right. So wait, how is it implied? You hear them okay. chewing. You hear the trees chewing the orcs up, and the orcs are all. Oh, what, does it does it happen to sound at all like the sound of branches crackling and 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 foliage moving? Well, that's what chewing sounds yeah, like. Okay. <laughs> Especially yeah, but, if you eat what I eat. Yeah, but I remember like you know. It used to be that you have to like chew your food like thirty-two times before you swallow it. Yeah. How many times? How many times do ants have to chew their food? Once for each ring. All right. <laughs> I got where I... you. I got where you're going, Dingus. I like your reference better than Kelly Wands. What? So Wait, was your reference? Because ants are really slow. It takes them forever to get anything done. Remember, that's their character trait, Kelly Wand. I don't know if you've seen these Lord of the Rings movies or not. They're fast eaters. <laughs> I really, this is nonsense. I'm calling nonsense on this. There is nowhere that ants, that ants eat orcs. Yeah, they do at the end of the true, the true towers. Is that from the books or something? Is that why you think that it's implied? No, but it's like a what happened to the orc army because in the theatrical release, it's like Gandalf shows up and there's a shot of him and his dumbass Rohan nerds. The trees are carnivorous? When it's orcs because they're born out of the shit. And trees like fertilizer. No, I'm not. Sarmons orcs are born out of shit. I'm not buying this for a second. I'm totally calling bull. I do not believe you for one second that the orcs, that it's implied that the orc army was eaten by ants. Yeah, Mary and Pippin got them to eat the the orcs. What do you think happened to them? They got stabbed by Gandalf's knights? I think they get smooshed and and turned into mulch. Well, they just left. Kelly Wan, what happens when you lose a battle is the army leaves, they vacate the field. They no, quit what, the field. They, they go home. 
Yeah, but they never fight him again, so obviously they were eaten. What are you talking hey. about? They were the other. The rest of the movie is lousy with orcs. Also, in the book Fellowship <laughs> of the Ring, a, a tree eats all the hobbits. Old Man Willow and Tom Bombadil has to come save them by knocking on the I tree. I vaguely do remember that. Get out of there. Yeah, Stop them. Ho, ho. And then he sings a song about not eating hobbits. Yeah, but then he, like, disgorges them. Yeah, and I don't think they would eat a whole army. I'm, I'm not... Poltergeist tree eats uh, kids. That is Poltergeist true. tree. Poltergeist tree does eat kids. That is a cartoon. Trees tree. love eating people. So Damn. you're saying the poltergeist tree was modeled on after Ents, like it's based on on Ents. Yeah, it's a myth. It's the myth of the of the orc feast that the the the, the forest once uh, preserved. All right. It's a famous thing. It's the Second Age. Look it up, Numenor. It's so brilliant. Your actual deleted scene it's is from that should have been at the end of Two Towers, but. Isn't at the beginning of the paddle wheel scene, but the orc thing bothered me, and I remember seeing two towers going. Wait, the orcs are still there, like they would have left, like Tom said, but then they never get faced again. Like what happened to Saruman's army, and why? Because all we see is a, is a, one of the trees putting out a fire. Obviously, Kelly Wand, Saruman gets impaled on a paddle wheel. His army, orcs without leadership, they're just going to scurry. They have low morale. He made them out of the shit. Right, so they leave when he's not around anymore. There's nobody they saying, hey, look, put on your hat and march in, a, in formation into this battle. With no one to tell them that, the orcs are just like, well, I guess I'm going home. No, no, that's not what orcs do. They <laughs> well, Kelly Wan, speaking of Numenor. Wow. Oh, say, wow, but check this out. My favorite deleted scene involves a Dunedain. Disclosing his age. Oh God! Why are you going? Oh God! It's an awesome Stop. scene. Saruman. Saruman got. Are you going with the same movies, Tom? So I didn't like the Lord of the Rings movies when I saw them in theaters. I remember <laughs> making fun of them to Dingus and talking oh, about. I remember how, that very well. Yeah, Gimli's dad's name was Groin, and how oh. they gave the Hobbit some lingerie, which is actually supposed to be mithril or whatever. Uh, the movies didn't work for me. I'm like, whatever. You, you people with your goofy fantasy stuff, go play your D and D. Uh, and I wanted Human cleric, always. Human cleric, always. <laughs> Many years later, though, watching the extended edition, for various reasons, it, a lot of stuff, I don't know, it clicked for me. And I think one of the very first scenes where I was like, oh, I, I like this guy, um, is when Aragorn is, is when Viggo Mortensen is telling Miranda Otto how old he is. And just what an awesome moment that was before. You know, Strider slash Aragorn was like super mysterious, and he's a badass hero, and you find out, yeah, he's like a ranger or whatever, and he loves the elves. But just this idea that he is a fallen version of mankind in its prime, and like in the Bible, you know, men used to live for hundreds of years or a hundred or more years in this idealized form when they were the Dunedain. Uh, they lived forever. And so at this point where Miranda Otto – and I forget her character's name. She's not Arwen. That's the elf chick. Um, Eowyn. Eowyn. Eowyn? Is that right? Yeah, Eowyn. Yeah. When Eowyn is saying, uh, uh, I heard that... Yeah, she's saying, yeah. I heard that you were in battle with my grandfather. And he's like, yeah. And she's like, oh, well, that must make you like about 60. And he sort of demurs and doesn't say. And she's like, 70? 80? And he finally confesses, I'm 87. And obviously, Viggo Mortensen is not 87. And that's where she lays out this idea that the Numenor, you know, he, he's this version, this fallen diluted version of idealized humanity that we've fallen from uh and it makes him sort of more poignant as he's this 87 year old guy 
who has fought battles with all these people who are long dead. Um, now all your all your choices are math based. I wait, so this is this was deleted from. Uh, yeah, so I don't even remember which one. It's got to be Two Towers. I I had such a hard time with this because I was thinking of watching the original movies in the theater and then watching the extended versions and trying to figure out how do you figure out what was deleted and what wasn't. Well, the trees eating orcs. I'm pretty sure this was deleted. I hope. No, I'm 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 certain you are. It's just that when I was thinking about these movies, uh, all these movies, I was just thinking about. Oh my gosh, how do I figure out what was what? Well, there's also so much more stuff with Sean Bean's character, with Boromir and his brother, mm-hmm. played by David Wyndham. Like, there's so much more there that also grabbed me when I when I watched the extended edition. Yeah. I'm like, oh, he's not just the, the villain. You know, there's this cool backstory to him. And, um, but specifically, you know, Viggo Mortensen, this idea that he's, you know, he's the king that returns, and this is this early inkling you get that he was this quasi-magical being at, at one point that he descended from these quasi-magical versions of, of humanity. Um, so this now, was Return as well, right? And, no, this has got to be uh, Two Towers, because it's when he's taking up with the Rohirrim, right? Cause that's oh, okay, okay. So, it's, yeah, it's got to be Two Towers. For me, they're all of a piece. Like, you people who can think of them as this is this movie, which I didn't like as much as that movie, but this movie was... But, like, I don't think of it as like an Empire Strikes Back, where this is clearly the best one. To well, me, Lord I'm of the Rings you. fellowships. Lord of the Rings is a nine-hour movie. That's yeah. yeah. I'm I'm kind of with you on that because when I think about where uh, where uh, Fellowship ends and Two Towers begins, because the end of Fellowship is one of my favorite emotional moments in in these movies. It's it's hard for me to m- remember uh, where where one ends and one begins. So I totally get what you're saying. And also, they're they're all, of course, you know, same cast, same director, shot, and it's different time. from the books. It's not yeah. like it's not like you know Star Wars, where George Lucas was smart enough to know that he sucks as a filmmaker, so he'd let other people cover for him. <laughs> but uh-huh. Fellowship, I like that you're gonna let that stand. Yeah. Who me? Both of you. What you think we're gonna be George Lucas apologists? <laughs> <laughs> well, early Lucas, like a lot of people, like newer, early. earlier, funnier. Uh, now here's my problem though with this deleted scene. And I kind of understand why it's deleted. I may may be a little bit glad it was deleted because of this. Peter Jackson can't freaking keep stupid jokes out of some of these scenes. Like I don't think I don't think Tolkien had much of a sense of humor. Like I don't think there was a lot of comic relief or jokes in there. This is a pretty serious story. But Peter Jackson decided, hey, it's going to be funny in this scene to make a joke about how Eowyn can't cook stew because she brings him some stew to give him. Oh. And there's this like sitcommy moment where he puts a mouthful of stew, a spoonful of stew into his mouth, and she's looking at him expectantly, and obviously it tastes so bad he wants to spit it out. That meat he kinda, cute. Get it? Uh, M-E-A-T? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, because it's a piece of meat that he's pulled out of the yeah. stew. And when I first saw that, I'm like, oh, yeah, that must have been what it was like for an encamped army to have to eat. But no, Peter yeah. Jackson is making a joke about, ew, stew is gross, especially when Eowyn makes it. And there's this – and so – and then she's nobility. Well, it's, it's not just that. It's that she's she's actually a warrior, and she's trying to, to serve a woman's role. And she no. wants to be a warrior. Right, right. But no, but it's, it's the way – I mean it's clearly played as a joke because yeah, yeah. when she then says, do you like it? It's good. And he's like, yeah. And he's got it in his mouth, and he wants to spit it out. And she turns to walk away. He's going to surreptitiously dump it out. And then she turns back around to talk to him, and he does almost like a spit take with the bowl where he spills some of it to make it look like he's still holding it. It's clearly like he's doing a Three's Company moment. But if you know he's 87, it makes it. (laughs) (laughs) 
but I do no, like you are right, Ding. It's like I like th- there's definitely this idea that she's not the traditional woman in the kitchen that the Rohim Rohirrim might normally have. Yeah, right. Um, uh, it also reminds me too in the classic Peter Jackson movie, The Hobbit: colon, Battle of Five Armies. Oh, good lord. Oh, there's this stupid comic relief character in there, this sort of sniveling coward guy who – Bilbo? Bilbo? <laughs> no, how dare you? Uh, uh, who, he dresses up like as a woman <laughs> and is trying to like hide gold and get what? out of town. He's trying to get out of fighting in the battle. Yeah, he does like – there's like a cross-dressing scene. He's trying to like talk like an old woman so he doesn't have He's to He's the clinger of the Hobbit? <laughs> <laughs> but not even clinger because he's totally like a Clinger was an He's like yeah. a sniveling, craven coward. Um, at least Klinger was just bored. Well, no, he wasn't bored. He was trying to get out of the war. Like he had a very That's cowardly. Um. Okay. Fair enough. But he wasn't craven about it. Like right. it was more trying calculated. To get a section nine. Yeah. Uh, so you know, Peter Jackson puts the and Battle of Five Armies would be flawless if it weren't for this stupid character. Just hey, a good Miranda Auto movie is uh, Human Nature. The. Uh, <sighs> Charlie Kaufman. Oh. I know I like it way more than you do, yeah. but she's really she does a lot of cute things in that movie. She does like some, and she does a lot of different accents in it. I'm just saying, okay. Rand Auto, Human Nature. If you're she's a fan the, of her work, she's the Kelly Wand of that movie. She's the clinger of Charlie Kaufman pantheon. Let's go to some listeners' favorite deleted scenes. Fred Bow writes. First Blood would have been much better if they had the balls to use the suicide ending. What? What? Do you From know about book? this, Kelly Wand? Wait, says, I know they shot it. First, is First Blood the first one? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. They didn't put his name in the title till later. Yeah. But uh, they didn't call the second one Second Blood, which is weird. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Fred Bo says it would have been more in tune with the books, much more poignant, and it would have spared us those awful sequels. Wait, so apparently... Rambo kills himself after... Yeah, he's a tragic figure. But then in the movie, he doesn't kill himself after Mm. his uh, tussle with Sheriff Teasel. That's not the guy's name. Sheriff Teasel? Yeah, Sheriff Teasel, yeah. And I get get criticized for knowing character (laughs) names, and you know Sheriff Teasel. (laughs) I wouldn't forget that name. (laughs) (laughs) That's who Rambo kills. Become the heroic Rambo we know, Sheriff Teasel. Yeah. Uh, huh. TJ, who identifies himself as our favorite Star Wars philistine, says <laughs> in Wally, the most remarkable thing about uh, a role reversal scene that was deleted is that they finished it. Most animated deleted scenes are things that exist only in storyboard form and have scratch voice work. This scene was actually a several-minute sequence that was in a screening they did on the West Coast. The director realized how much of a, state, a mistake he made, and he changed the scene to be about the people Wally had an effect on. Uh, all right, so here's the scene. Uh, Wally is the one trying to save Eve. She is damaged and compacted into the ejecting garbage. Ugh. Wally and M.O.? Who's M.O.? Save her and try to put her back together. What? Huh. Do you guys know anything about this? No. Hmm. That seems out of character for her. And who's M.O.? I don't know. Is that the captain's seat? He turns out to be evil in the shark jump. Third Maybe. Act. Capital M dash capital O. Oh. Or is that Fred Willard? I don't remember a third robot. In, well, there's the, was yeah, there one? There's the red-eyed Hal robot that uh, runs the ship. But he doesn't meet any robots on the ship. No, there not there like a little helper robot? Like It's like a mouse-droidy kind of thing. 
That's him, though, probably. Yeah. See, because he's mouse-sized. So, but this, she, Eve is damaged and compacted into the ejected, injecting garbage. Huh. So right. she tries a Han, Han Solo, but, mm. it's, but she try it, it winds up being the trash compactor scene, Han Solo. I don't and understand, not. though, why TJ picks it as his favorite scene, though. It doesn't sound like, sounds like it was ill-advised. Maybe right. just memorable. Maybe it just means like that would have been crazy. He does, yeah. He does point out it's memorable that they actually finished it, uh, and it was yeah. made it into a screening, and then uh, was cut. I mean, it seems like a big plot point. Like it seems like right. Maybe it was too much action going on. <laughs> maybe it would scare small children. Yeah, maybe it was too intense. Like, don't all the Toy Story toys about they? They're I didn't like it. They're about to get dropped into like hot lava in Toy yeah. Story three at some point, right? Yeah. Maybe girl robots, part of the sexism we're talking about, aren't allowed to have garbage scenes. Oh, good, because garbage is crass. It's like a crass Yeah, it's too gross. Paul Weimer says, uh, first of all, he makes a pun about the word deleted, and then he gets to his three picks. And I'll I'll spare you guys the embarrassment of Paul Weimer's pun. I will delete it. Ooh, this is my favorite deleted pun. (laughs) Yeah. The deleted scene that tacks onto the ending to Seventh Son. What? I didn't oh, know about Tom. any such thing. Kingus, were you aware of this? I was not. I've only come to Seventh Son. Is there an Eighth Son at the end? Oh, let's find out. So the deleted scene tags on the ending to Seventh Son, where Thomas is reunited with Alice. I don't even know who those characters are. Uh, as he and Tusk, I do know who Tusk is, headed off to answer the call of the city bells. <laughs> I prefer I this. Finish watching this. I prefer this deleted add-on to the separation of the original, uh, as I like the idea of the two of them finding a new way to deal with witches and the supernatural together. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they go their separate ways because he's getting the horse ready, and then he finally tells Ben Barnes, "Oh, this isn't for me. You're out of here," or vice versa, whatever the case is. Jeff Bridges, they break up. All right. Who plays Ben Barnes? That must be a. It's not Alicia Vikander. I can tell you that much. Oh, she's in that thing. <laughs> you bet. There's a well. There's somebody uh, like Logan Lerman. And I forget what the dude's name is. It's though. Ben Barnes. He was making a joke. He, he's in the he's in the uh, Narnia movies. He plays Prince Caspian in Narnia. Okay, all right. Uh, Alicia Vikander. You can identify her, Kelly Wand. Uh, in a lot of the scenes, there's an Alicia Vikander shaped hole, and that's where. Oh. Uh, Paul Weimer's number two pick, although it is found in the extended edition of the Two Towers. Uh oh, here we go. Uh, I think the Boromir and Faramir scenes, oh, this is what we're talking about, together in Gondor, are missing from the theatrical release, help humanize and flesh out both Boromir from the first movie and Faramir with the second. Yeah, there's a lot going on there. Did you ever see the deleted scene in Return of the King where Aragorn kills the mouth of Sauron? He's like an ambassador from Sauron who has like a weird mouth. Well, yeah, like I think so. Yeah, please, you don't have to explain who the mouth of Sauron is. Yeah, come on. on. Kind of, I knew the Numenorians. I knew the Dunedain. Uh. I know the uh, high fidelity, the Uruk, the High. <laughs> I know uh, the difference between between Rivendale elves and the other ones. Or Riven, is the ants called the Urukai? Lunch. Riven what elves? There's Rivendale and Dell. Dale. Dale elves. is Archie's school. The R elves. Rivendell. and then there's the ones that live where Kate Blanchett is in charge. What's that place called? Like Glorfindel. Lothlorien? Lothlorien, oh, yeah. See? Glorfindel. Glorfindel's the original Legolas. He was Trapper John Legolas to uh, <laughs> Charles Emerson Winchester. <laughs> and if you were to watch that movie, Battle of Five Armies, you would see Lee Pace playing him riding a moose. 
how could the Eagles have any answer for that? Are we number five? <laughs> Shit. Eagles versus Moose? Fuck. Paul Weimer's number one pick. At the end of the movie, oh my god, Masked and Anonymous, <laughs> Luke Wilson's Bobby Cupid commits an act of inexplicable violence. It is one unexplainable thing among many in the movie. A deleted scene, though, shows him early in the movie manhandling, quite viciously, a drunk in the bar that he tends. The deleted scene goes a long way to explaining the act of violence. Masked Anonymous is that god-awful thing with Bob Dylan, isn't it? It what? sounds like a white man's Nacho Libre. Hmm. But what we say? Something more relevant? <laughs> no, I was just asking. I think I've seen it. It's a t- terrible movie, and I think Bob Dylan is in it, if I'm not mistaken. So. Bob Dylan, the singer, is in it. Right, is, I'm saying. He's an actor. Is. Okay. Yes, he's playing Steeler's Wheel. Jesus. Rob Lowe says that there's an extra hour of footage in Gangs of New York. He said, I just read that Martin Scorsese's original cut ran over three and a half hours, and producer, producer Harvey Weinstein had more than an hour of footage cut. Scorsese totally poo-poos the idea of releasing a full director's cut. So Rob Lowe is picking scenes he's never even seen but that he's heard about. <sighs> Harvey Scissorhands. Tempted. <laughs> uh, number two, Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Oh, uh, I've heard there was a scene, once again, seems like he hasn't seen this. It's a scene he's heard about. I have heard there was a scene where Ferris steals one of his dad's bonds to fund his wild day out. The inclusion of that scene certainly changes the tone of the movie a bit. Damn. Bonds? Yeah. So he's a thief. That yeah. totally changes it. Rob said, you know, he's heard about this scene. So. Oh. Hmm. All right. The so Abyss. This is your favorite rumors about movies. Yeah, rumored scene. Yeah, what? Okay. In the extended version of The Abyss, Ed Harris is in the alien's underwater spaceship where they show him a video of a giant tsunami wave threatening to drown Earth. He asks them why they are doing this. And they show him videos of military escalation around the world. Oh, God. it off with footage of nuclear weapons explosions. Fifth element. Uh, uh, Rob Lowe writes, I'd venture a guess that a strong anti-war message didn't agree with the studio heads or pre-screeners. However... Or Cameron, I would Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> However, having seen this version for the first time in the mid-90s, juxtaposed with the military operations in the Gulf War, Somalia, and Bosnia... It certainly affected my view on the U.S.'s role in international conflicts. Uh, the Gulf War, Somalia, and Bosnia were not ill-advised adventures, though. They were – well, you know, they were for altruistic reasons. They weren't – like aliens would be proud of us for the Gulf War, Somalia, and Bosnia, <laughs> I think. For Somalia, you think? Of course. All right. It was a humanitarian mission. I mean you might say it was misguided to send the military into like – a failed state like that, and I could understand that, but it, it wasn't like aliens would think, oh, they're terrible people, we shouldn't let them have a military. It was us trying to use the military for, for a good thing that, that wasn't necessarily in our strategic interests. Uh, it was out, it was we actually, usually make things worse, but in Bosnia, I don't think we did make things worse. No, absolutely. I mean, not at That's all. so that, you know. Or the Gulf I, War, by the way. The Gulf War was, uh, you know, they, we can't just let people swallow kuwait that doesn't you can that can't stand oh you mean that gulf war the, the other one is not a war it's an invasion we did the, the the what people call the the set the war in iraq it's the invasion of iraq okay that's not a war it's an invasion just so you know kelly wand it was liberation 
Tom. Kelly Wand, you would be a perfect board member for the Project for a New American Century, uh, a failed think tank uh, full of neoconservatives like yourself. You should consider joining them. I just think America will be better. It will be great again with Trump because he used to be really good back in the time. Kelly Wand, let's get down to what you do best and have you pronounce Arthur's last name. Jelly. Very good. In Bruges, I didn't know there were deleted scenes from In Bruges. Did you know this, Dingus? I had no idea, no. They were not in Bruges. <laughs> Arthur writes, Brendan Gleeson and Colin Farrell are talking about the priest that Farrell killed, spoiler, and the reason that Ray Fiennes wants him dead. Farrell speculates the priest may have been a pedophile, but Gleeson dispels the theory saying the priest was opposing a building that Ray Fiennes was trying to build. Wow, I don't remember that. While I think the movie's plot works better without this information, the scene is still fun to watch, and Farrell's reaction to Ray Fine's motivations is amusing. Every time somebody mentions something about In Bruges, I'm like, damn, I, should, I need to watch that again. I need to see it. I don't normally see movies where they give away where it takes place in the title. <laughs> Uh-oh, here we go. Here we go. I am the only on this podcast 3x3, just so you guys know. I am the only one whose favorite deleted scene got more than one vote. Because are you guys ready for this? Arthur's number two pick. Lord of the Rings of Two Towers. Eowyn makes some questionable soup that Aragorn is encouraged to consume. We find out through this scene that Aragorn is almost 90 years old and that he is a gentleman, even when chivalrous behavior causes him discomfort. There are so many great editors, and that's the bit where he eats her soup anyway. That's Gentlemen. Yeah, Arthur doesn't explain that because he doesn't want to spoil the scene for people who haven't seen it. Uh. Arthur writes, there are so many great added or extended scenes in Lord of the Rings. Uh, this is just one example. The extended edition adds lore, character development, and – and I'm putting air quotes around this on Arthur's behalf. Uh, it adds lore, character development, and humor to movies that were already fantastic. Arthur didn't actually put the quotes there, so I'm correcting his work. Come on, it's kind of funny. No, it's not. Oh, she can't cook. Oh, this food is so gross. You know, an army encamped, he would be so grateful to get whatever food they can get. Like, it's not like you, you really have a lot of standards when you're marching with some medieval army and you're lucky to, to get, you know, a little bit of overcooked rabbit that somebody foraged. It's from the books. <sighs> so not from the books. <laughs> That's how Frodo acted when Gollum tried to uh, fry his limbus. Actually, isn't a lot of the Eowyn stuff not from the books? Like, didn't it doesn't Peter Jackson yeah. script sort of flesh out her character in ways that yeah. she didn't? Yeah, she didn't have a crush on Aragorn in the in the books. And she's and also barely in it. Is she the one that kills the Witch King? Yeah, she is. In the Mary. book, she is. I thought it was yeah, the Hobbit. Oh. No, they they te- they tag team him. <laughs> I mean, whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> Like, the, I, the, the term is double team. Whoa, 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 whoa. Yeah. I don't know if she says that line, though. I'm no man. Well, that's – yeah. You and your stupid prophecy need she's to She's citing – she's quoting Macbeth there, obviously. Oh. What? That's not – that was centuries later, dude. And <laughs> <laughs> a different planet. <laughs> Arthur's Middle number Earth, not Middle Ages. Okay. <laughs> Arthur's number one pick, Watchmen. The scene where Hollis Mason. All right, good lord. Which one of you nerds on this podcast can tell me who the heck Hollis Mason is? Uh, the 
Is he the guy that Rorschach visits? First of all, you're forming this in the. You're asking this in the form of a question. I'm not going to be able to answer it. So, so Rorschach visits someone, and that's who Hollis Mason is. Dingus, can you help me? He's got weird ears. He's like bald, and he's like all. Oh, (laughs) oh, the guy who plays Max Headroom. Yeah. Oh, Matt Frewer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, let's find out if, if Kelly Wong's correct. The scene where Hollis Mason is killed by angry hoodlums was not included in the original theatrical cut, but it was added to the director's cut and the ultimate cut. It's one of the better scenes in the movie, lifted directly from the comic book, but done with a cinematic flair that leaves a big emotional impact. I understand they wanted to keep the runtime under three hours, but Hollis's death really should have been part of the original release. If you enjoyed Watchmen... In comic or movie form, you really should check out this deleted scene. It will not disappoint. Okay, I know who he is. He's the Patrick Wilson's predecessor, who was like the former Night Owl, and they're buddies. And they, he visits him, and they like hang out sometimes. He's like his older friend. Okay. He's the like guy with all the beans. Mentor. No, no. He's. I don't even remember him in the movie. I remember him in the comic. Well, where does he go it's to like eat his all old, the beans? Older friend. Eat all the beans. Doesn't he like go to somebody's uh, like sad little flat and like raid his? That's Hollis, probably, yeah. Because he only has one friend, Tilly. Hooks oh, up. I know what you're talking about, Dingus. Yeah, I totally know the scene you're talking about. Yeah, I was yeah. like, what the hell is Dingus on about beans? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I totally remember what you're talking about. Yeah. But he doesn't heat him up or anything. He just opens the can and eats him out. I mean, it's always disgusts me. It's weird. Do you guys know that in the mm. comic Watchmen, there's a giant squid at the end that eats? I love it. Like, I love that squid. It's so a dumb. terrible idea to get rid so of it. So dumb. So no. dumb. What? So dumb. Doctor Manhattan. Never, it never would have translated. It, the audience would have been laughing. Now they already have a blue dick. What's the difference? <laughs> <laughs> Let's see the other side of things. Uh, what runners up do you guys have for deleted scenes? Dingus, I thought you might choose the butterfly bit with uh, I Am Legend. Like, isn't there something about butterflies saving something or another? Oh, it's like, oh, the alternate ending there? Yeah, yeah. Like, Dash Mihawk's trying to save his zombie girlfriend, and there's like a butterfly crack, crack in the glass, and that's how Will Smith discovers the cure to the plague or something. I didn't hear any Blade Runner talk, like I was yeah. promised. Do you, not, do you not know the same thing? I think it's pretty awful. I, I think I know what you're talking about, yeah, yeah. but I didn't yeah. think of it. Uh, so, yeah, I thought there Blade Runner talk. I, thought, I was sure there would be some. Yeah. I, I have one runner up, but if you want to talk Blade Runner, you should go. Well, I mean, I mean, there's the crappy version of Blade Runner that got a theatrical release, and then there's the real one that Ridley Scott made. So, I don't know. I think the deleted scenes as uh, that you should the, the, the extra stuff is the theatrical release, right? That should be in the extras on a DVD, uh, whereas Ridley Scott's movie is the actual Blade Runner. And and actually, that, you know, as a, if you were to think of like that unicorn stuff, like if you were to think of that as a deleted scene, yeah, it belongs in there. But I just really can't stomach this idea that there's no reference to him being a replicant. Like that seems like the the entire point of one of the entire points of noir is that the detective is personally – Dick. Is, is what? It's a Philip K. Dick thing too. It's like what – am I real or is reality ah, real? Ah, right, right. Like his two grand sort of existential of all this work. Yeah. Right. yeah. Um, so uh, – but yeah. And, What's a human? And I hope this uh, Denis Villeneuve, Villeneuve uh, remake, oh, which just got Jared Leto added to the cast. You guys will be glad to know. Uh, the new Blade Runner that he's shooting with Roger Deakins as his DP, just like in Sicario. Uh, uh, I just I hope he realizes that there's only one real Blade Runner, and there's kind of an important plot point that needs to be addressed if we're going to make a sequel. 
Maybe it will be. I hope so. I mean, if we're just making a sequel to the one where he's just a regular guy who got hired to hunt down robots, uh, yeah. I'm not as interested. Dingus, what's your runner-up? All right, my runner-up, uh, the reason I went and looked at this movie again is because um, and this is from the movie 28 Days Later. Um, mm. What are you thinking about? Oh, I assume you're going to talk about the stuff where there's the guy in the bunker with the cure. Uh, yeah, but, which I thought was going to actually be a scene, but it's just a bunch of storyboarded ideas. You know, this, this idea that um, they're going to take Brendan Gleeson's body and they're going to drain it and they're going to do a total transfusion and make it, and cure him with this total transfusion, um, which is impossible when you think about the actual rules of the movie. But there, but there's this, there are these wonderful extras on the DVD that I remembered that are – are, are, that show this idea. I thought it might have been a deleted scene, but it's really just a bunch of storyboarded stuff with somebody talking over it. Um, which I, which I hate the idea, but I love the way that they did it. And I hadn't seen it for years, but I went and looked at the deleted scenes of 28 Days Later, hoping for that. And what I wound up with, there, there's a couple of really good deleted scenes in there. Uh, nothing that I think should belong in the movie, but uh, there's this this thing where uh, Kelly Murphy's doing his London walk, and uh, it, the 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 deleted scenes are um, commentaried by Danny Boyle and Alex Garland, and uh, uh, Danny Boyle go at one point he goes, "There's a fox there," uh, and you see a dead fox lying there on the ground. And he's like, "There are a lot of foxes in London. We just happened to catch one of them as we were filming." Because uh, there's just dead foxes around. Apparently, I didn't know there were a lot of foxes in London. Um, but in this same London walk scene, or maybe in a, in, a, in there's a, there's a train walk scene, there's a subway scene where uh, where he talks about that would have had had to have been treated. While uh, Kelly Murphy is looking at this wall uh, behind him, is this like Times Squareish um, advertisement? wall uh but it's blurred out and he and he said and and you know putting this in would have meant the extra expense of removing that mcdonald's sign which is removed from the clip so they ended up doing the expense of removing it from the clip but not from the movie <laughs> um uh. but the scene that alex garland really just can't stand is this taxi scene it's called taxi sweden where they're driving it's weirdly cut, and the whole idea behind the scene, as Danny Boyle describes it, is that they're on this long, this long road trip, and they've taken a taxi, and each one of them, as they drive, are pretending to be a taxi driver and doing the patter that a taxi driver might do, whether it be racist or ignorant or political or whatever. They're just doing this patter as they drive, and, and it's weirdly edited so that one of them is in the driver's seat and then the other and then the other, as if you're on a long road trip and you're swapping out the driver's side. Um, and it's, it's funny to hear that, that deleted scene because Danny Boyle's talking about the reason they did it. And Alex Garland's like, this is why we developed editing. I wish this were not here. I wish we could get rid of this. I wish we weren't even doing this right now. He's so uncomfortable with the whole idea of this deleted scene, even being included. I think he wish it could be eradicated from the face of the earth and not included on the DVD. And Danny Boyle is trying to be so game and talking about how the actors were trying. And it's clearly like improv and not a part of the script. I don't think you want to let Killian Murphy improv. Probably not yeah. a good idea. Uh, well, he, when he's improving, he's totally—you can tell—he's totally doing this weird, semi-racist 
type of stuff. Um, and then there's what? Yeah, it, it's you know, I'm not saying this. I'm just saying that you know, he's trying to pretend to be a taxi driver. Um, and then there's this weird stuff in the house where he, where Kelly Murphy's character is supposed to be hiding under the floorboards while the soldiers are running over the floorboards. Um, which I also, I think the deleted scenes are pretty cool just on their own, but I'm glad they're not in the movie. Uh, the floorboard I, stuff's from other movies. I don't know. I do love watching the the the, the pre-treated scenes of Killian Murphy wandering in deserted London, yeah. where there's yeah. a lot of traffic driving back and forth behind him. They, they have to CG out. Uh, can you guys uh. name the three CG scenes in the bronze? There are three of them. Uh, is it the sex scene? No. Is there any CG in that? Nope. That that was actually I did read that that was a, a body double that Melissa Rauch and her husband chose and. Uh, uh, but no, no CG. It's actually gymnasts. They got to strip naked and do that. Wow. Uh, when Thomas Middleditch did that jump at the mall so he could break into that place. <laughs> now, one of them, I'm, the I'm sure when I mention it, you guys go, oh, yeah. But then there's two more that I think a lot of folks might not know. Uh, so the three CG scenes, there are two shots of fireworks that were clearly CG. Oh. Then. One of the, the Toronto skyline and one of the sky behind the, uh, the gym. Uh, and then one during the kiss? Or is that no. just lighting? Uh, and then one, uh, remember when the – and I love this little touch where she gets the stuffed rhino out of the claw thing oh, the, the for uh, – the wink. Yeah, for, for, uh, for uh, uh, Maggie. And you can tell that when she pulls it out, Maggie thinks it's for her. And she had no intention of giving it to Maggie. She wanted it. And she sort of looks and hesitates and then goes ahead and gives it to Maggie. And it's really cute. And then later the payoff where it winks at her right. when she decides to, t- to right. not screw up her chances to win the gold. Uh, so, yeah, three CG, two fireworks, and a winking stuffed rhino in a Harley jacket. That's great. Oh, uh, I didn't see the wink. Oh, Kelly yeah. Wand. That's pretty important. It's a redemptive uh, moment, Kelly Wand. But I, uh, I love, see, I tuned it out. I love during their kiss where, where he – takes her arm and moves it away when she's trying to move her arm over to his crown. That is such a great, yeah, it's such a great, very, uh, like, reversal of the usual scene. And then the callback where she's like, well, just a little bit. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Why not? Uh, All right, Dingus, what is next week's 3x3? Oh, I just wanted to say one uh, alternate was, uh, there's some good ones of uh, Unbreakable. There's one like Mr. Glass rides a roller coaster that I almost picked. What? He shouldn't be allowed on roller coasters. That seems ill-advised. He's a kid, and he's trying to – that's the thing. He gets really fucked up from Who it. plays it's the like kid, a, Samuel Jackson? Uh, Jaden Smith, I think. <laughs> <laughs> so that part's kind of cool because he gets really fucked up from the roller coaster. And that's but, where the, the working relationship uh, between M. Night Shyamalan and Jaden Smith was established that would later yeah. come to fruition in After Earth. After Earth, yeah. See? They're just natural. <laughs> Sorry, Dingus. All right, Dingus. What is next week's three by three? Uh, All right. Well, this is inspired by uh, a movie we saw this week um, called The Bronze. Uh, and this is when we first meet Lance the Blanker Tucker. Uh, the and Blanker? He, I never. What? That was his nickname? That's what she calls him. Lance the. Tucker. So many like throwaway lines in this that I, I need to go back and listen to. Okay, yeah. good. Uh, and he. Oh, oh, the effort. Like, were you just yeah. avoid? Lance, were you just cursing uh, non normally? I was not. I was not going to say Lance the fucker Tucker. So I I'll just say Blanker. it now. It's <laughs> <laughs> a blanker. <laughs> we we have to assume we have to know what that means. 
Yeah, it's hard right, to okay. figure out what could rhyme with Tucker. Lance the fucker Tucker. Blanker. Uh, I like Kelly one that you made him say it twice now. I know. He doesn't even mind. It sounds natural, too. Like, no, it's one of my favorite. I love that word. But still, I try blanker? to maintain that. Yeah, blanker is an awesome word because I love the internet. You my, can favorite, my favorite comic is Blank Man. Anyway. Fuck man? What is that? Fuck Man. That's a Vans movie. Fuck man. A Tom said Fuck Man. Well, wait, are you, are you saying that there's a comic called that? Isn't there a movie called Blank Man? Like yeah. The, it's Wayne's. Yeah, the Wayne's movie. Oh, you're the, the actual word blank, and you're not using blank as a substitute for the F-bomb. Right. Oh, I just I was like, that's a strange name for a comic is fuck, man. I, there could be such a thing. I don't know. There will now. <laughs> um, anyway, uh, it's when his character comes out, when uh, Stan, what's his name again? Sebastian, uh, Sebastian Stan. Sebastian what? Stan. I think it's Shaw, Tom. Um, <laughs> What's his non-porn name? When he reveals his credentials as a gymnastics dude, he he flips out his credentials. Um, so this is your favorite uh, badges or IDs. <laughs> I know one movie we're going to hear about next week, and it's going to be Dingus bringing it up. It's not Rushmore. Uh. <laughs> I think it's what the listeners want to maybe preempt one of your choices with some of their own. If any listeners would like to show up with their ideas of favorite badges or IDs in movies, uh, they can write us at 3x3 or 3x3 at quarter2x3.com. And if you have uh, three choices, send all three of them. If you don't have three, if you only have one, send that one in. And if you have some other ideas about the movie we're going to see... What will that be, Dingus? Boy... I don't know, Tom. I can't even remember. Really? You're that unenthused about it. It's got Michelle Yeoh in it. Michelle who? Dingus, why are you dreading it? <laughs> Look forward to it. I really had no desire to see it until Kelly Wan mentioned that from the cast. Taste the mystery like watermelon. <laughs> All I can think of the, is the Dragon movie. So what is the actual movie? Oh, Mechanic Resurrection, the sequel oh. to the Jason Statham Ben Foster mechanic. Uh, which is itself a remake of a Charles Bronson, Jan Michael Vincent movie. So okay. we've come is a long way to get. Tie-in? We've come a long way to get this. Is it what Kelly Wand? Is it an Alien tie-in? Because Alien. Oh, oh Alien was right. Yeah, that was. Uh, was is it a prequel? I'm not as impressed with that reference as some of your others, Kelly Wand. <laughs> I hope it'll be an equal. Right, Wait, I so, Dinks didn't say the name of the movie. I'm upset. Mechanic Resurrection. <laughs> I hope you're happy, Kelly Wand. Yeah. So please, if if you have some ideas and thoughts and and just pithy comments about mechanic resurrection, <laughs> please send them to three by three at quarter to three dot com under a different subject heading: ideas about the movie, mechanic resurrection, whatever. Any ideas you have, send those, and we will endeavor to read them on the podcast and send your three by three ideas to three x three at quarter to three dot com. So join us for that next week. I am Tom Chick. I have been joined by Christian McClinsky. It's Christian Morosky. And Kelly Wand. Oh, yeah, my over was bad news bears. City of Ohio, state of Amherst. When I was just a baby, lost my mother to a hearse. Excuse me? Fuck you, fuck them, and fuck that. If I said it, then I said it. I ain't taking it back. Fuck you, fuck them, and fuck that. Gotta lock it from your taint that I stole from your crack. Dad's name is Stan Post General Wussy. His fish's name is Bradley, and that fish is a pussy. Fuck you, fuck them, and fuck the ex. I be storing <laughs> Clarence head while you be smoking crack. Go <laughs> stop cause she's a winner. Yeah, I am. Don't care, go get her. Finger in the fist, fuck her in the pussy, have her with
What's your like, Ricky? I love Lucy. Who's there? She like this one dude. And he's eating. Wait, who's that singing back at? Is that Sebastian Shaw's? <laughs> Are you all right? Do you need a huggy? I swore an oath to keep it secret. This lie has kept Apocalypse at bay for hundreds of years. We were afraid if the Queen's heart was destroyed, you'd lose your immortality or die. That wasn't your choice to make! That's my other favorite deleted scene from Return of the King. You try doing that with the torn Achilles. <laughs> That's gymnastics! <laughs> The boys really, really, really liked you. Uh, what's that from? Truth. Dear. Uh, all right, recording's good. Wow. Make sure the key break came out. Yeah, bronze, bra. LeBron's. <laughs> when do you leave? When does your plane leave? Uh, tomorrow at 7, which will be, let's see, 7 plus 9, 4 a.m. my time. Or wait, 4 